For more Red FM podcasts, go to redfm.ie forward slash podcasts. Actually, talking about uh, weather and, uh, you know, the changing seasons or whatever. Today is the spring equinox. Now, for some, it could be deemed the actual official start of spring because I think today is the day when the day and the night are equal length. Uh, so from this day forward, of course, you're going to have more day than night and so on and so forth and further into the spring and before you know it, uh, summer. Big celebrations across the weekend uh, because of the Ireland victory um, with regards to the Six Nations and the and the Grand Slam. And um, it was fabulous to see uh, the team uh, making the papers this morning and celebrating afterwards in the Shelburne. They certainly deserved it in the, the early hours of the morning. Uh, Ireland's rugby heroes celebrating in style as they uh, partied the night away after winning the Grand Slam in Dublin uh, for the first time. And it's the front page on many of the red tops today. Grand night out and why wouldn't they uh, celebrate? For God's sake, it was a momentous occasion. Um, sadly, you know, we, we talk about the changing of the seasons. Six years have now passed to the day since the disappearance of Tina Satchwell. And there's a, an extended article making the examiner this morning. Liz Dunphy uh, does a, a, a really detailed look at the past six years and indeed the disappearance of Tina Satchwell on the 20th of March 2017. It remains as much a mystery now as it was then. Uh, and her sister, Teresa Dingovan, speaks to uh, the examiner saying, you know, things like time uh, has stood still for the last six years. They are absolutely heartbroken as a family. And she says that uh, somebody knows. Someone out there knows something. And she's appealed for the public's help yet again on the sixth anniversary to pick up the phone, talk to the guards, any guards at all, even anonymously and give any information you might have as to what happened. She disappeared at the age of 45, and as I say, remains a mystery. No sightings of the Fomorboyne woman since six years ago. Uh, And despite, uh, and I'm talking about very extensive guard investigations, 400 lines of inquiry, over 100 hours of CCTV footage, 170 statements, not a single trace. Uh, No bank account use, no passport use, not at the ports, not at the airports, no sighting by any individual whatsoever. In six years, um, and you know, when you add that up, as Teresa does this morning, you break it down into days and hours and minutes. It must be very hard for them uh, to to deal with the not knowing. Uh, She was last uh, seen by her husband, Richard Satchwell. Uh, He was the last person to see her alive, the last known person to see his wife alive. Uh, He said that he he brought her tea and toast uh, the morning, uh, that she asked them then to go to uh, Dungarvan for some shopping, that he came back and she wasn't there. She had no passport, her mobile phone was left in the house, keys and everything. Her beloved dogs, Rudy and uh, Ruby and Heidi, uh, and she went nowhere without the dogs. Uh, she had no ID with her. Um, Bertzart was found at the home, everything like that. All that was missing, he says, and I remember him telling me this on air some years back, two suitcases and €26,000 in cash. And I was asking him where the money came from, the 26 grand. He said it was from the sale of a house and from different car boot sales that they went to. They'd amassed 26 grand. He said that was gone uh, and two suitcases. The rest is an absolute mystery. Um, so it's still a very much a live case. It hasn't been closed by Gardy, uh, And I think Gardy would agree, actually, with Theresa Dingovan that somebody always knows something. And it's the sixth anniversary of her disappearance today, this morning, as we speak. Uh, weight loss surgery overseas in places like Turkey makes the front of the echo today. Colm O'Boyle, who's the Bonds Secours Hospital um, uh, surgeon, 
uh, talks this morning. I might get an opportunity to talk to him today or maybe over the next couple of days. He's talking about the reports they're hearing um, from uh, people who are coming back and you know, needing corrective surgery, botch jobs. In fact, people have died uh, following surgery, not just bariatric surgery or, you know, different types of weight loss surgery, but also there was a story last year, somebody died following um, some kind of issue with regards to dental work overseas. But he hones in on the death of a young mother from Dublin who passed away in Turkey, Turkey last year from surgery-related complications. And what's very alarming, he says that he's heard reports of former patients um, of practices abroad that the former patients are being encouraged to entice others towards similar treatment. I've spoken with one of the biggest clinics, actually, that does various forms of weight loss surgery in Turkey on the air, uh, maybe about a year ago, uh, because there were all sorts of complications going on with one or two people, particularly in Cork. So it's a front page of making the echo today. And, and I just love this story. I'll chat with it later on this morning. Uh, Audrey, a Crosshaven woman uh, whose dreams came true on St. Patrick's Day when Michael Buble, Bubbles himself, dropped into our pub in Hamburg for a quick pint to wish her well on St. Patrick's Day. It's a fabulous thing. He walks into her pub uh, with a and has a pint of Guinness and stands for photographs and selfies and videos and all sorts of things. It's a great story, it really is. And there's also a video going around with regards to that, which I'll come back to a little later on. But the damage that's done by people, I, I just don't understand it. There's a story in the Echo today um, of criminal damage done to the old convent down in Don Manway. I mentioned that in passing because the uh, OPW is talking this morning in the Irish Times uh, with regards to the amount of vandalism to heritage sites over the years in Ireland. And not only are, you know, heritage sites being vandalized, but some of them being, being vandalized over and over and over again. I don't, I don't get it. These are national monuments, a lot of them. Many of them went back to the 13th and 12th century. Many of them with tombs and effigies and beautiful stonework. And for some reason, idiots think it would be a good idea to smash them, break tombs, tear down bits of the wall, light fires, um, graffitiize them. Um, I mean, you, you saw what happened in, in Vernon Mount. Um, incidentally, I was up at the Famine Memorial in Carsill for the first time in my life yesterday, and I was absolutely shocked. It's not vandalism that's going on up there. It's just sheer and utter neglect at the famine site where thousands of Cork people, um, city and county, are buried since the Great Hunger and for many years afterwards. I was so saddened. I was actually quite angry when I saw the state of it. More on that a little later on this morning. To communities that are said to be, um, well, let's put the word tense because of the the growing impact on rural Ireland over the large numbers of refugees descending or being put into small rural villages with so much limited access um, and much of it taking up housing and what have you and things like that. That's the story that makes the mail today because those rural villages are to get a bit of a sweetener, my words, sweetener, 50 million um, has been put aside in a, in a fund uh, that's been given by the government to communities hosting large numbers of refugees as to what they do with the money, I have no idea. It uh, could be kind of hush money, I suppose, I don't know. Uh, and as you head in and out of Ireland, of course, a lot of us love going in and out of Cork Airport, but for those that have to go in and out of Dublin Airport, there is um, a warning in the Independent this morning from a whistleblower within Cork, Dublin Airport saying that terrorist attack danger um, is a real issue uh, for Ireland because of the security screening or, 
issues behind it. At Dublin Airport, the whistleblower described security screening at Dublin Airport as being not fit for purpose. And I'm not talking about people coming in having just destroyed all their passports and all that kind of thing. I'm talking about bringing things into the country, which could be all sorts of things, whether it could be chemicals or acid or guns or weaponry or what have you. And then, of course, we have a lot of shortages. And the mail this morning tells us of the rapidly increasing rise in the different drugs that uh, we just can't get our hands on in Ireland. I won't drill into the breakdown, but they do hone in on blood pressure medication. But there are 250 different medicines now. A lot of them are life-saving medicines in short supply across Ireland, according to the front of this morning's uh, mail. And other things that aren't necessarily in short supply, but people are paying big money for it, would be coal, as an example. And you know, with the border and cross-border smuggling, it's been going on for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, but apparently one of the growth areas now is in fuel being smuggled uh, across the border, because if they can get across the border uh, by smuggling it across the border, they're avoiding all sorts of taxes, they can sell it illegally, and apparently they put the figure at about 55 to 60 million euro worth of illegal coal coming across the border every single year. And and other things that we use, uh, well, certainly not me, I don't know about you, but cocaine. Uh, Ireland and Irish people are amongst the biggest users of cocaine in the world. And we are well ahead of countries like Spain with regards to cocaine use, uh, the Netherlands and Australia. And we consume the drug at the same rate, at uh, the same numbers per head of population as the United States of America. Uh, so we are amongst the highest in the world, a joint fourth highest globally. That's pretty shocking and that's not anything you want to be celebrating. Uh, Ian Bailey makes many of the papers this morning because back in uh, November there was an alleged attack on him which is being investigated by the Gardaí and a couple now are being quizzed over the Bailey assault. Apparently Ian Bailey was lured to meet some people because of uh, a TikTok video that they wanted to do a video clip with them and he met up with these girls from TikTok down in Bantry last November uh, and instead of a number of uh, girls um, it was a number of young men jumped out of the car and gave him a beating and he got a number of kicks to the head he was lucky to escape without serious injury and that's back in the papers this morning because at this stage now Gardaí are quizzing two people and we have our own issues then with regards to our Taunishta and our Taoiseach uh, the Taunishta um, got into trouble with people who homeschool their children because at the weekend he claimed that the Enoch Burke case highlights why children should be educated in schools and not at home. He says, I'm not a great fan of homeschooling. I think children need to socialize. If you're homeschooling your own children, I'd love to get your thoughts on that. Text 0868104106. He says, I find it sad and disquieting that the Burke family have found themselves in such a situation. As you remember, Enoch Burke objected to calling a pupil, a transgender pupil by a new name or using the pronouns they and them. And everything kicked off thereafter. But his mother, Martina, a qualified teacher, homeschooled all 10 of her children, amongst them Enoch. And uh, Michal Martin says that uh, the reason that the Burke family from Castlebar um, are very much um, dom- dominating the news is because they have an isolated perspective on life. And then you have the Taoiseach, Leo Varadkar, who was over uh, for the... Um, St. Patrick's Day celebrations and, you know, it was at different events at the, at the weekend. And he told an American audience with um, Hillary Clinton in the audience uh, that uh, he himself at one stage had been an intern in Washington. And he said when some parents would have had a cause for concern about what would happen to interns in Washington. 
and he had to apologise for that because he was referencing, of course, uh, Bill Clinton and Monica Lewinsky. So uh, words were no sooner out of his mouth than his aides and officials with him were drafting an apology uh, because it was said to have been in bad taste. And then, of course, staying in America tomorrow... Donald Trump could be arrested Uh, and riot police now are on standby because Trump has already said and I've no axe to grind in any way, shape or form here if you're a Trump supporter. But apparently he has taken to social media and demanded his supporters to protest, protest, protest. What's the backstory to it? Well, he said he expects to be taken into custody tomorrow. There's an inquiry into the $130,000 hush money a payment that he allegedly made to a former porn star by the name of Stormy Daniels. Uh, and he is, of course, running for next year's election to the White House, and he's expecting to be arrested tomorrow, and he has demanded that his protesters, that his supporters, forgive me, that his supporters should protest. And we all know what happened with regards to the Capitol riots when words like that were used. Isn't it very sad that you have a whole section of society that are going to work every day in Iceland and not being paid their wages. It's a story in the Sun today. Now, Iceland apparently have sold the uh, Irish branches to another company, but the low-paid workers there who are on minimum wage, I'm told, or at least some of them are on minimum wage, have received no wages at all since the UK parents sold off the Irish stores four weeks ago. Uh, Imagine that, low-paid workers, uh, being low-paid as it is, working hard, have their company taken over and then for some reason during the course of the takeover they've been forgotten about and they ain't being paid for a month if you're an Iceland worker on Lee side, I'd love to hear from you text 0868 104 106 and the departure of uh, Ryan Tuberty makes all of the papers again today and all over the weekend one of the big stories of course behind it is as to who's going to take over but apparently he was sick of living in the spotlight it kind of comes with the territory though but he was also resentful of being scrutinised for years over his 440,000 euro a year salary um, which actually is substantially less than what it was some years ago when they were paying total telephone numbers of six and, and 700,000 but um, like the one thing about the Late Late Show and the star hones in on it today is, is that it's been failing for years in fact it's been declining since the days of Gay Byrne. I know such society has changed totally but they're saying now according to a Late Late source that Ryan Tuberty was never comfortable about being portrayed as a celebrity and it's been struggling to get guests in recent years A-list guests um, and that may have been one of the reasons why he just decided to sling it. So Claire Byrne now is the favourite with Paddy Power followed by Miriam O'Callaghan and Sarah McInerney and Angela Scanlon. So the top four favourites from Paddy Power are four women. Uh, Brendan O'Connor comes in next, then Tommy Tiernan, then Dahi O'Shea, then uh, Jennifer Zamparelli then Maura Duran and Dara O'Brien. That's the top 10 for you. When you look at some of the outsiders, uh, Graham Norton would not be interested in the gig. Uh, he just wouldn't because the calibre of guests you can get in London dwarfs the calibre of guests that will come into Ireland. Marty Morris, he's at 125 to 1. Roy Keane at 250 to 1. And Gary Lineker at 4. <laughs> they just throw him in, I suppose at 475 to 1. So there's that and lots more besides throughout the course of the morning. I have a lot of other interesting stories making the papers, which I'll come back to 
throughout the course of the morning. But I just want to get stuck stuck into our phone lines this morning. My screen's dead, so I'll come back to it after the break. Hold on. Then. Talk to Neil Prendeville now. 0818-104-106. Cork's Red FM. Told you I'd be keeping a very close eye on the trial of Yonad Cosman Nicolescu at the Central Criminal Court sitting in Cork. And last week was the first week of that trial. It's expected to go on for a number of weeks. And what we certainly do know is that at the age of 64, Frankie Gre- Dunn died at Castle Grainer House on Borey Manor Road on a date unknown, but it certainly was sometime between the 27th of December and the 28th of December in 2019. And before the court is Yonat Cosman uh, Nicolescu. And we had a week of evidence, the first week of evidence uh, last week. Barry Roach was there. Uh, for each of those days, covering it uh, for the Irish Times. And he joins me by phone. Barry, good morning. Good morning, Neil. How are you doing? I'm good. Uh, did, the, did all of that evidence, just recapping the week for us, if you don't mind, it began with, didn't it begin with Joe Pierce? I think, who was looking for his cat, yeah. Mouse? Yeah, Yeah. just to, um, I suppose, alert listeners, this, this is pretty grim stuff. Totally, obviously. totally. So Thank we, you. We, we'll, we'll try and be as um, sensitive, I suppose, as we can. Yeah, as you say, it began, I suppose, in earnest on Tuesday, uh, where we heard from this man called Joe Pierce. He lives on Rockbar Avenue, and he told the court how he'd been working on the December 28th, got a phone call from his partners to say that their cat was missing. Their cat's name was Mouse. He came home to search for the cat, and he called to a number of neighbours, including um, into a man called Brendan Kerrigan. His property backs on to Castle Grana House, so in the course of searching the back garden there, he went over the wall, as it were, there's a drop down, but he, he uh, there's a, a raised bank on Brendan Kerrigan's side that enabled him to get to the top of the wall. He dropped down and began searching Castle Grainer House gardens. And he said um, there was a large bush and he went down on his hands and knees to see if the cat was in the bush. And although it was dark and the foliage was dense, he thought he could see some rubbish. So he went around the other side of the bush and he said, I went around the other side of the bush. I turned on the torch on my phone and the next thing I saw was a set of feet. Mm. I followed up along my, with my torch and as I scanned further up, it was obviously the shape of a body. He said, I was in disbelief of what I saw. I was trying to rationalize what I saw. I thought it was maybe a mannequin. The body was oriented with the feet pointing out and the rest of the body was facing in. Then I saw the, the male genitalia. I got up and I walked out as I knew I shouldn't be there. He, uh, he told how he went back to Brendan Kerrigan. Uh, they, they rang the guardy, tell them what they had found. And then we heard from Detective, we heard from Brendan Kerrigan who confirmed that as it were, that evidence from Joe Pierce, and then we heard from Detective Garda Brian Byrne. He was a uniformed officer at the time. He arrived on the scene with his colleague, Garda McCoslow. They met Mr. Pierce and Mr. Kerrigan at the entrance to Castle Grainer, um House on the Borne Manor Road, and they went in a side gate there. And he said Mr. Pierce was visibly shaking. He said it was maybe a mannequin or a holy statue, and he was apologising in case he was overacting, as I suppose you would, because you don't expect to find... A body in a garden, certainly a body with uh, which arms and dismembered. So he went in, and with Garda Costello, they proceeded to search under the bush. He said, and they approached it from different sides. And um, he said he shone in his torch. I could tell it was the body. It was naked except for his socks. I could see the head was gone and the left arm was gone. And he said I couldn't see the right arm. Uh, he immediately withdrew. Garda Costello gave evidence again. Um, corroborating that he said the body was naked save for the socks and he could see the side see the head and the left arm had been removed they preserved the scene immediately and then we heard evidence from Detective Garda Porter Harrington he was one of the first detectives on the scene as it were and um, he called to Clan Morning House 
the Simon House I support unit across the road. Is this is this is a, a Cork Simon home where people can oh. live. It's a, it's a dry home, but that's it's what a dry it is. home, yeah. yeah. And it's a sort of a high support for for people with addiction issues and and who are homeless. Uh, and he said he called the staff there and he spoke to Don Bullman and he told them that there were two residents missing and he gave them descriptions of them. The first man didn't match, he said, from the description he received, but the second man he thought from the description of him and that was Frankie Dunn, he thought it might well be his body they had found. Um, Frankie Dunn, we heard, was five foot six in height and he was wearing a green three-quarter link brown duffel coat and red berry when he left in jeans. Um, that was basically most of the evidence, I suppose, on Tuesday... And then on Wednesday, we heard from some of the Simon staff. The key uh, worker, Mary O'Driscoll. Yeah. Mary O'Driscoll in particular was, I suppose, the person whose uh, her evidence stood out. She said... Um, she worked she, at Clan Moran House as well on the Borey Manor Road, yeah. Borey Manor Road, exactly. And uh, she knew Frankie Dunn. She said she'd been working with him. He'd moved in there in July of 2019. He'd come from the um, Simon Shelter in Anderson's Quay. He had an alcohol addiction, but he was working to combat it and he reduced his drinking and was very he might drink once or twice a week she said but he was very much invested in sort of making things work for him so he was uh, he was serious about confronting his issues as it were she said Frankie could have been anyone's father or brother or uncle he loved music his family were very important to him they were very much in contact with him she said he would visit them about once a week and they were very involved in music and traditional music was his life as I say she was giving evidence on the third day she was cross-examined by uh, Mr. Nicholas's council ran uh, about the fact that they had a log, as it were, of some of the incidents that were logged in Clanmorton House, and he put it to him that Mr. Dunn could be argumentative, and she said yes, he could be cantankerous, but he was when he was intoxicated. But she said he was quite manageable. She acknowledged that he'd been involved in a physical altercation with another resident earlier that year, but she said it was relatively minor incident on the scale of things, and most of the time with with Frankie, she said it was verbal. Yeah. Um, as I say, she said he had addiction, alcohol addiction issues but he didn't drink every day maybe once or twice a week and he was reducing his drinking as I say or mm. she said and mm. was invested in coming to terms with you weren't allowed to yeah. you weren't allowed to drink in Clanmorran House and a, a, a social worker Sinead Quinlan picked up that in evidence didn't she from Simon she did indeed uh, she was making the point that they couldn't drink they often hid their alcohol in bushes and around the place and drank elsewhere but again she played down defence suggestions that uh, Frankie Dunn could be violent towards other residents she said Frankie was a big talker he could talk for Ireland he was good crack he was funny and she said when he was out of the house you would notice he wasn't there sometimes there were confrontations with other residents she said but that was down to the fact that there were people big personalities and we also heard from another care worker there a staff member uh, Don Bullman he said he didn't think Frankie Dunn was capable of, of physical violence but Philip Rand put it to him two incidents where he threw a fork at someone and he threatened to break another ten- resident's jaw he Don Bullman he played them down he said look you must look at the bigger picture we're dealing with yeah. people here with severe substance issues these old persons do accompany it with alcohol unfortunately this comes out 95% of our service users were presenting that way they depend on alcohol but he said we see this every day of the week it would be typical and this was just leaving off steam and he said that Frankie Don wasn't a big drinker but was trying to reduce his intake and was one of the better ones he got on with everyone okay. so that was more so but, the, but we yeah, know that on the night of the 27th uh, he did buy alcohol in the Offaly on Douglas Street, right? Because there was evidence of that from Tyg Hennessy Burke. Yeah, he went. We heard that he'd left. Um, Quinlan and Dunbullman said he'd left about seven twenty, seven thirty in the twenty seventh. We heard from Tyg Hennessy Burke, who works in the Offaly, uh, the name of the Offaly since on Douglas Street. He said he didn't know him by name, but he knew him to see from coming in, and he recalled him seeing him the seeing him on the evening of the twenty seventh uh, when he saw the photograph in the papers a few days later. He said, "I remember that night we were speaking about Christmas." From what I recall, he was saying, Santa never came to me. 
and uh, Ty Kennedy Burke said I remember feeling very sad for him he seemed sober but not in good form I think his order was a bottle of wine and a few cans of beer mm. and uh, we then also heard from a couple of uh, detectives from the scenes of crime um, Stephen Denny and Owen Buckley they went in after they were alerted uh, to preserve the scene and we heard from Owen Buckley saying oh he crawled in under the tree I could see there were two arms um, they had been dismembered and they were hanging over a branch of the tree and then there were two bags one of clothing and just behold the other he said he felt uh, he, he reckoned it contained a human head oh, I know. so that um, was that was um, then on Friday then on Friday that was Thursday Friday, Friday was the state pathologist right yeah, Dr. Heidi Ockers, uh, she gave evidence, and I suppose... Um, this would be difficult she, for people to hear now, I bear in mind. Yeah, but, we'll, we'll keep it as... Uh, I suppose the, if there's any consolation, this is the, the confirmation that Frankie Dunn was deceased. He had died before the dismemberment took place. So um, and she yeah. said she was able to say that because of the there wasn't blood flowing at the time of the uh, amputation of his head and the amputation of his, his 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 arms at the shoulders. She said that he actually died from um, um, compression to the neck and uh, associated with blood force trauma to the head. Um, she found shards of glass in his skull, which was consistent with him being struck in the head with a bottle, and then. Um, Again, compression marks in the neck and these uh, particular hemorrhages on the um, eyes, which is a sign of uh, asphyxia, effectively. So he was strangled or he was choked, it would seem. She was asked whether she could say whether he was struck in the head first and then choked or vice versa. And she said she couldn't say from the wounds themselves, but from the fact that he had defensive wounds on his hands, she was inclined to believe that he was struck in the head first and then... Uh, the, the, the choking pressure to his neck was applied. Yeah. Um, the defence wanted asked, to know yeah, whether or not it could have been inflicted by more than one. Was that the case? Yeah, that was the case because if you remember um, on the opening day, Ray Boland said that in the course of um, when Gardy went to Romania to speak to Mr. Nicolescu and he was interviewed by Romanian police, he maintained there were two people present. He came back and he found them and they were standing over the unconscious body. So um, that and that was somebody else the state maintains of course that those people don't exist yeah. but Philip Rand asked was it the possibility or was it possible that given the extent of his injuries and we heard that he had uh, I think 16 specific injuries to the to the head uh, he had also injuries to both legs to his three to his uh, stomach and chest and four to his back um, she said um, Dr. Rucker said um as I say, Philip Brown asked, could they have been inflicted by more than one person? She said it was impossible to say exactly how many people were involved. She said it's a considerable amount of violence was inflicted in this assault. But she said, given the stature of Mr. Dunn, and as I say, we heard he was five foot six, he was quite small, they could have been inflicted by just one person. But she said she couldn't exclude the possibility that two people were involved. So that was more or less the conclusion of her evidence. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, she said as well, she was asked when did she think he had been killed uh, post-mortem was on the 29th of December and she said the closest she could say was that it was in the preceding 36 hours so okay. that would put it back to the you know 28th okay. into the uh, late hours of the 20, 27th so that sort of is the, the, the closest she could pin it down in terms of time of death and then we heard some evidence from people that he worked with in Silver Key uh, Mr. Uh, Nicolescu including uh, the bar manager Ross Campion wasn't it? Cam- yeah he was working at the, at the back of the bar and the evening of the 29th 
and uh, he said that Mr. Nicolasco was known as Johnny um, and he emerged from the bar and started taking clothes over rucksack he said to us if anybody asks me don't tell them anything it doesn't matter it'll be gone tomorrow and he confirmed then that Nicholas, Mr. Nicolasco failed to show up for work the next morning which was unlike him yeah. and we also heard evidence that day from another staff member at Silver Key a woman called Laura Walsh who said on the morning of the 29th she was outside in the pub smoke area with another staff member and Mr. Nicolasco who was a during the conversation until it turned to the discovery of the man's body minus its head and he said a reference was made to the body being found by a man looking for his cat Johnny said Mr. Nicolesco said imagine if Kitty was playing with the head or if the cat ripped off the head and she said she thought it was very inappropriate mm. but typical of him mm. so that was where we more or less wound up on Thursday, so we're back with more evidence. On Thursday, my apologies, yeah, Friday not yeah. being a court date. Um, can I ask yeah. you a question? Are, would any of Frankie Dunn's family be in court? I wonder? Yeah, they're, they're members of his family there, and it's obviously hugely distressing for yeah. them. There's a, a guard liaison officer with them, and I presume they've been briefed, as it were, in terms of what to expect, but... Um, it's, it's, it's grim. It, it is. It's grim yeah. and gruesome. Yeah. There are no two ways about it. You know? and, uh, uh, but I suppose, that, you know, the picture that emerged of him, which was, was a, a positive one, you know, in terms of uh, Mary O'Driscoll saying, you know, he could be anybody's father, brother or uncle, and that he was big into music. And, you know, we got a sense of the man, mm. Um, mm. Uh, which we hadn't got up until then, really, I suppose, because it was just he, I suppose, it's all the case. And mm. These type of cases where the victim is just a, a name and an image, maybe, but uh, certainly she painted a picture of him as being very, you know, like she did. Frankie character. was a big talker; yeah. he could talk for Ireland. Yeah, and he was a good crack. He was yeah, funny. You know, so you yeah. got some sense of him, which yeah. I thought was nice, you know. Yeah, yeah. and that's important, and it's respectful yeah. to his memory. Yeah. Uh, back in court this morning, Barry, at the Central Criminal Court, sitting in Cork. Yeah, back at half ten in Anglesey Street. We're running all this week, uh, and we've been told that it could run three weeks, so we may go into next week. But, okay, uh, okay. It's, it's moving along at a fairly rapid pace, I would think. We'll catch yeah. up later in the week, um, and we'll chat with you then. But thanks for the update from the first week of the trial. Barry Rhodes, Southern Correspondent for the Irish Times. Uh, text 0868104106. Pick up the phone on 0818104106. Just very quickly, in other news, because you know the way I am. If I don't do it now, I'll just clean forget about it. And uh, I got a lovely note... Uh, on Instagram from Siobhan she says I know you don't usually do requests on your radio show but I'm just asking would you please mention my beautiful mother she passed away on the 3rd of March she fought a battle with cancer was only diagnosed in October last year but I can tell you what she would be up every morning listening to your radio show thank you so much from her daughter Siobhan and all of the family and she's talking about the late Joan O'Leary from Arderon Way in the Glen. So happy to remember your ma'am this morning, Siobhan, and I know that all of the family and you amongst them would be remembering her yesterday for Mother's Day. Text 0868104106. Call the Neil Prenderville Show now. 0818104106. Red FM. The yeah, story of the weekend actually talking about the price of things. Um, and they're saying that in Dublin, particularly areas of Dublin, I suppose they're usually talking about Temple Bar. It's nine euro for a pint of Guinness now. In one year alone, the price of the pint has jumped by a euro 35. Then they go all the way around the country to look at the price of, you know, stout and what have you in different counties. We're nowhere near that. We're more likely to be nearly half the price of a pint almost with regards to what you pay in Temple Bar. Mind you, I was in Dublin in, on a Friday night uh, for the a Moving Hearts gig with the uh, RT Symphony Orchestra. It was going on 
in the Board Gosh Theatre. Great night, great gig, fabulous to see the band back together again doing their thing. It was terrific. There's a car, <laughs> there's a car park right next to it. It's one of those queue parks. And, and I swear to God for the life of me that I went in there at four o'clock, right? So four o'clock, so four o'clock, five o'clock, six o'clock, seven o'clock. 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock. So I was into the, technically I was into the sixth hour, I suppose, but it was actually five actual hours. Um, and, you know, I suppose it, with regards to Dublin or the, the cost of Q Park car parks anyway, you need to be on red alert. But for that period, but in there at just after four and got the car out just after half past nine, 37.50. I mean, that's the price of things uh, up there, 37.50. I mean, how and why do we charge so much for everything in this country? Particularly, who'd want to live in Dublin with the prices of things they pay? I mean, I know we complain down here, but it's on a different level entirely up there. Thirty-seven fifty. Um, I know you could say you could go into another park far, further away, but you kind of don't like. You like to use the one that's next to the the theatre or the venue. But anyway, thirty-seven fifty. What you're going to do? Um, interestingly, I didn't mention this in the newspapers this morning, but it fits in very nicely with my chat with David Welling or pulling out a cork. They didn't last very long, unfortunately, in spite of a big marketing campaign. And I gave away a load of flights to Paris for Welling. Great airline, fabulous planes. Uh, but they're pulling out uh, of Cork on the Cork to Paris early run. And the last flight will be on the 11th of June. They're saying or at least Cork Airport are quoted as saying that the reason behind it is because there are capacity issues in Paris. Um, What does that mean? It means that there aren't enough slots for them to land in Paris or something like that. And as a consequence of that, the Cork-Paris-Orly flight uh, won't continue. Um, It was a twice-weekly service in Cork and it's gone all too soon. Uh, But that's the way it goes. Another thing that you will probably notice is flight cancellations. Uh, And that's why I wanted to... Uh, chat with uh, David because I have a similar kind of a kind of a similar story nothing like as shocking as his but David good morning good morning Neil how are you I'm good so this is a half seven flight last Thursday morning was it supposedly yes going to Stansted in London okay and do you mind me asking were you on the clock for something was it an appointment was it social or what were you going to London for so we were heading away myself and my wife and we were actually making a bit of a weekend of Harry Potter um, for her birthday. birthday. So we were supposed to go to the studio tour on the Thursday afternoon and then we were going to the Curse play the day after. It's a great event. Uh, my own daughter did that actually exactly what you were planning on doing and loved it. But what happened? What happened at Cork Airport? Um, it was a bit of a nightmare really, <laughs> to say the least. Say the least. So um, so it was a 7.30 flight to Stansted that morning. Uh, everything seems normal at the start. Um, and we were to, we were getting on to board, so we were boarding the plane. Everyone sat down in their seats. So the half seven flights. You were there at six a.m. Got on the plane, no problem. Yeah, no problem. Yeah, so far. Um, so we were sitting on the plane, and there was no uh, sound of the engines. They were trying to start the engines, and they didn't seem to be kind of starting. Um, we were there. We were on the plane for about an hour, I'd say, um, and we were told that an engineer would be coming to try and fix the plane. And they tried to air start this for, I'd say, about 10 minutes. Can you actually hear when you're on board somebody trying to start the ignition? Yes, yes. It was almost like they were trying to jumpstart it with a machine. So they came with with a machine to try and jumpstart it. I'd be freaked Um, out if they were trying to jumpstart it. Yeah, I I think most people would be freaked out by it, to be honest. Um... So after about an hour of that, we were told to get off the plane. So we disembarked the plane at that stage, I'd say about 8.45. Um, and we, we were told at that stage that we would be flying back out at 11.05. Um, 
one of the staff members had said that there was a plane coming from Edinburgh and that we'd get that plane um, and then they would get our plane but there would be kind of a swap around um, so everything seemed normal we were given a four euro voucher at that stage as well to um, get a drink and a snack <laughs> for four euro it, it, good it, luck with that I know yeah so it was 260 for a cup of tea so you weren't getting much besides that you know you wouldn't get a club milk um, for the balance of that no exactly <laughs> So um, so 11.05 quickly turned to 12 on the board um, and there was no communication. Changed again to 12.30 and then um, Swissport came out then at that stage and said it was delayed until 4pm. So as you can imagine, everyone was like, there was a lot of people trying to make connecting flights. Oh, there was a lot of people man. with concerts and things that were on. A lot, the a lot of kids there? Buggies? Yes, yes, yeah, yeah, an awful lot of kids. So everyone was at that stage trying to get out. But um, it's 10 hours later since you arrived at the airport at 6 a.m., remember? So people were asking, could they leave? Um, We were told it was at our own discretion or at our own risk to leave the airport because if it was 6 any sooner than 4 p.m. and it took off, it was our own tough luck, basically. Um, So we stayed, myself and my wife, until about half six because at four o'clock it changed um, every kind of 15 minutes on the board there was no communication there was no one at the gate that we were at so we were just sitting at the gate waiting Um, we got an incoming text then just before half five that it was to be at half five and then I'd say about five minutes after that we got another text to say 9pm oh you must have groaned at the 9pm did you? yeah I'd say about 50-60 of us at that stage um, said all grown collectively um, and just said, let's get out of here, you know. I think a lot of people went away and came back because, as far as I know, it did take off eventually at 10pm. Um, myself and my wife were afraid in case we'd miss the next day of the play as well. So we started at that stage to look for um, an alternative flight. So then, at this stage now, you'd got a second for Euro voucher, but what did you do for proper food right across the day? So we went to the bar because you couldn't actually use the voucher in the bar. Um, the voucher was only for the main restaurant, so you could only use it for the kind of snacks and the kind of buffet restaurant. What about the little the, kiosks? You can get water, a coffee, sandwich, a roll. Uh, no, yeah, you could just just for that part. So just for the main, the kind of main airport restaurant, not for the bar that was down below. Okay, okay. So you could only kind of use it towards snacks and stuff there, but it was fairly cleared out now as well. Um, there was no food. So many people getting for yeah, because of so many vouchers, like a lot of the pastries and stuff were cleared out. Yeah, and I suppose they weren't going to anticipate a flight delay like that. So there's a run on the food. No, because yeah. even the staff and the duty free were commenting on like the the actual level of the, no communication. There was no representative there to say anything. So you had 160 plus people going to a That's restaurant it. that wasn't stocked or. Hanging around yeah, duty free, yeah. like, like there, there was plenty of drinks and things, but food, not so much. You know. God Almighty! Oh my. Okay, so you decided then when they said nine p.m. Um, mm. that what you wouldn't risk it, is it? Yeah. So at that stage, we were just afraid. We kind of could see that other people were trying to make other arrangements and try to rebook our flights, and there was people calling Rainer on customer service, trying to see if they could swap their flights. Um, but they were being told that the, there was two other flights that day to Sunset, one at 4.25 and the other one was, I think, 7.35. And both of those were already fully booked. 
So while you're, on, while you're at Cork Airport, other Ryanair flights are taken off for Stansted, but not yours. Yeah, mul- mul- multiple flights. Oh my God. Off, That's so frustrating, isn't it? <laughs> oh, it was just painful. It's absolutely painful. Like, I, I even couldn't understand, like, because Stansted is, like, Ryanair's base of operations. Could, could they not have at least one flight that would make a round trip over and back? Because it's not like it's a far flight either, either, you know? And then it went to 10 p.m., did it? Uh, it went to 10 p.m. Then it was 20, 20 to 10, I think, was the boarding time to take off at 10 p.m. And it did take off at 10 p.m. I'm not too sure how many people actually got on the flight at that stage. And um, because we actually got no communication whether it did take off or not. I checked on Sunset Arrivals the next morning to see if it did take off because we had no email communication. Did you go um, home or what? Yeah, so we were, myself and my wife went home at half six. Wow. Um, because we, we booked it with Aer Lingus instead because we couldn't get a connecting flight. Or sorry, not connected flight. We couldn't get another Ryanair flight because oh, wow. they were coming up that they were booked. So you went home, booked with yep. Aer Lingus, went back to the airport, probably paid substantially more than the Ryanair flight. Yes, yeah. So it's €275 euro we paid. €275 euro return each or together? Uh, for one way. One, one way, way to Heathrow. For the two of you? Yep. Yeah, it's cause bizarre because uh, I have somebody going to London later this week and I was doing price comparisons last week. You could get a return this week with Ryanair for €31 Euro into Stansted. And if I remember correctly, the Aer Lingus figure for a similar return flight, I don't know, was it Heathrow or Gatwick or something, was uh, at least 250 perhaps even €270. Euro. Huge difference in the prices. Crazy, because we, we did look at a return flight, but it was almost €900 Euro for the two of us. There's no way. <laughs> at the last minute, anyway, you're going to pay huge money, aren't you? That's it, that's it. And like it was, we had already lost out on the studio tour. Um, because they're non-refundable, so that was about two hundred and thirty euro. Oh and then man, that's heartbreaking. The play as well was another two hundred euro, so we just didn't want to kind of miss out on everything, you know. Did you make the play, but not the tour? We made the play, but not the tour. Oh man, that's a shame, isn't it? And what about well, a refund then? So we're entitled to compensation, um, because it was a fourteen and a half hour delay in total, and um, so it's up to two hundred and fifty per person. Um, that we're entitled to for compensation for the delay um, and we were entitled to a refund. So that was probably another part of it too. So we did apply for the refund for the one leg of the journey from Cork to Stansted. But when we applied for that, Ryanair actually cancelled both of our flights. So we ended up not having the flight back. Oh my God, so you're in London then and you get a cancellation of the return leg to Cork. Yeah, so yesterday morning we got up at about seven o'clock and we tried to check in because when we couldn't check in we had to get on to customer service and they said that we cancelled our flight but for some reason I remember to screenshot they um, came for him when I was doing the refund so that I had said one leg of the journey and so then they decided to reinstate the flight so they said that they would reinstate the flight but then we still couldn't check in because there was an outstanding balance because I assume Ryanair rebooked our flight. And so there was an outstanding balance of 100 euro, which of course we weren't going to pay because we had already paid for the flight. Why would they be coming up with a balance when you already paid for it? You owned no the idea. flight. I assume that they just rebooked our flight, you know? Again, for yeah. you, even though you never oh, can. Isn't it a total nightmare, isn't it? I mean, oh, I, I remember there's some. such a necessary stress. Yeah. So did you get the Ryanair back or did you have to get Air We did. We did. We did get the Ryanair flight back. 
eventually. Um, but we had to actually wait. We were waiting around. They told us to contact them at 12 o'clock and then they told us to contact them on customer service again at 4 o'clock. Um, and then they told us to go and check in at the airport because they couldn't do it there. When we got to the check-in, Stan said they had to actually ring the people who we were on to previously for them to minus the balance. Isn't it unbelievable? So I, I mean, they constantly are criticised by their... Yeah, well, they're, they're customer service. They're constantly in the top five or top three. They're right up there with air with regards to bad customer service. I remember That's booking a flight right. with Ryanair a couple of months ago and that was fine, paid for it and everything. And then they cancelled it and said, that flight's been cancelled, click here to book this one. And I booked that. And would you believe it, within three or four hours, they cancelled that one as well. <laughs> I mean, it just makes oh my no God. sense. But was the weekend then a disaster or did you have some bit of fun out of it? The Saturday was great. We had a great, great time on Saturday um, with the play and everything. Um, but everything else was just mental. <laughs> Oh my it was God. just it was it was just the stress of not knowing when when our flight was, not knowing how we were going to get back, just constantly having to look at flights over the whole weekend. I wouldn't want to have been on a plane that they had a problem trying to start it anyway. I just wouldn't. No, that was the other thing as well. I was just, I was half half nervous about that myself. <laughs> and if it's like this now in the end of March, can you imagine what it's going to be like when they really are rammed with uh, with when it passengers? comes to the summertime? Like, and that's what that's why I couldn't understand how they didn't have like some sort of contingency plan that they could send over like another plane just to make that round trip from I know, I know. Course, you know will you get a refund on that outward bound leg um, so we are entitled to a refund on the outward bound flight uh, we have applied for it but I don't know how long it takes um, and apparently because we lost out on one nice hotel as well uh, Reiner said we can claim for that back too can you claim for the lost so, um, tour of Harry Potter I don't think so I think that money is gone but you um, can for the hotel? To, I can for the hotel. I did try with um, the tour operator that does for the tours, but they said they were non-refundable and they're also booked out until the end of May. You'll be so, waiting for that refund, boy. One of the lads here is still waiting it. on a refund from Ryanair since December. Yeah, yeah, I'd imagine so. I'd imagine so. You have to stay on top of it. God almighty. Definitely. Listen. Definitely. Are you going to go back for the Potter tour? We will, but not with Ryanair, I don't think. <laughs> <laughs> okay, all right, my man. Not anytime right. soon. <laughs> all right, thanks, David, for the story. Appreciate you taking the time. Cheers. Welcome Thank home. Welcome. Cheers. Text talk about 6810416, and that's what it's like at the back end of March. Can you imagine what it's going to be like in June, July, and August? Back after 10. I'm Lana O'Connor. Red FM News is first for local, national, and international news. And you can stay up to date by tuning into our hourly news bulletins or by clicking on redfm.ie. The Neil Prenderville Show, Red FM. Okay, hope you had a great weekend and that you really enjoyed it, whatever you got up to and enjoyed the uh, you know party or whatever the case may be with regards to the Ireland victory. I have to acknowledge as well that the under-20s Ireland rugby team also won the Six Nations and the Grand Slam on Leeside in Musgrave Park yesterday. So congratulations to the under-20s as well. Lots of St. Patrick's Day parades, of course, uh, on Friday. Hope you enjoyed those. Uh, back to the grind stone this morning but for someone you could well be satisfying your Monday munchies courtesy of ourselves and off be donuts so you need to text or whatsapp 0868 104 106 tell us who you are and where you're working and most importantly why you and your colleagues deserve our Monday treat now depending on how many people are at work with you if it's a big company and there's lots of you up to five boxes will be delivered lunchtime today that's 60 donuts 
It's a lot of donut. Uh, and of course, that's courtesy of ourselves, an offbeat donuts on French Church Street. And within those buskers, there will be the praline cream, the chocolate ganache, the red velvet, the salted caramel pecan, the offbeats jam, and many more. Sometimes I think a jam donut is just what you need. The good old-fashioned ones, they'd be my favourite. But anyway, so text who you are and where you are and why you deserve this treat. And you never know, uh, the Red Patrollers might be delivering up to five boxes uh, later on today, courtesy of ourselves and Offbeat Donuts. So text 0868-104-106. This is just a super story. I saw it on social over the weekend. Cross-Haven woman, Audrey Leaves, runs a pub in Hamburg called the Fleeton Kicker Pub. Right, It's the St. Patrick's weekend and she's in touch over a period of time with Michael Bublé, uh, wondering would he, whenever he was gigging in Hamburg, would he call in for a pint of Guinness? So Bublé then uh, shared this um, video clip on the socials uh, over the weekend. Have a listen. Today is Friday, March 17th, 2023. Thanks at St. Patrick's and being in Hamburg, Germany for St. Patrick's. Anyway, for about a year, this beautiful woman, Audrey, has been writing me on my socials telling me that she runs a something called the Fleet and Kicker Pub. Say that through time. Fleet and Kicker, Fleet and Kicker, Fleet and Kicker. She's invited me to go have a drink on St. Patrick's. And I kind of wrote back and said, if I'm there, I will. It's happening. We're here. She doesn't know I'm coming. I don't even know if she's going to be there, but hey, what a great excuse to have a drink. Woohoo! Let's go. from Hamburg. Good morning. Good morning. You sound so cool and calm with Bublé. I was certainly not cool and calm. <laughs> what was the reaction when, what happened was one of the staff members said to you, Mike's at the door or something, is it? Yeah, some one of our young waiters came into the kitchen to get me and he said, there's a Mike at the door for you? And I don't know anybody called Mike. And I said, I don't know any Mike's. He says, well, there's a man at the door called Mike and he wants to see you. Um, and I was like, okay, I'll be out in a second, tell him. And uh, I went out and because we have a sign at the door, please wait to be seated. <laughs> and he waited to be seated <laughs> with four of his team. And I came out and there he was, hands in the air, shouting, happy Paddy's Day, Audrey. <laughs> Let's have that pint, I promised you. What did you, what did you make of it? Like, what was your reaction to that? I was gobsmacked, absolutely gobsmacked. I, I couldn't believe it. And he, 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 he put his hand around my shoulder and he says, come on, let's go to the bar. Get that sign. You were a like mumbling, muttering mess. I was like, you're staying. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I was. I was an absolute mess. But uh, it, it was, uh, he was so nice. He said, I'm so sorry about the uh, sirens. That's all right, girl. That's real life. It'll pass, unfortunately. Uh, oh. Hope everyone's all right. So in he comes. What, what did the rest of the staff and the customers make? Did they recognize him? Uh, no, they didn't. Two girls recognised him and he had a picture with them as he was leaving. Um, but no, he, not many people recognised him really. Uh, he was, but he was really, really nice and he was quite uh, obliging um, to the two girls that asked for photographs. <laughs> what did he, what did he, he stayed for a pint of Guinness and then went off to his, I think he was on his way to a gig, wasn't he, his gig? He was on his way to his Hamburg show, yeah. 
it's amazing, isn't it? And did you stay with him? I mean, you're clearly a big fan because you had been in touch am, with yeah, him. I, I love, think you did I it. I wrote, I wrote on his Twitter feed when he said he was going to go on tour. I wrote on his Twitter feed that Hamburg is going to be in tour. Would you like to come to the pub for a Guinness? And he answered me and he said, if, I, if Hamburg's not in the list of shows, I would love to come to your, to your pub for a Guinness. <laughs> so it was all set up for, be, for me about a month ago. The team had been watching my socials and um, he, he did a TikTok around the corner from the pub on Thursday. And I was like, right, that's it. I'm never going to meet him. He's never going to come to the pub. I totally gave up hope. And one of the team then said, uh, sent me a message and said, we'd love to, some of the band would love to come and have a Guinness. Uh, is, could you reserve a space? I said, yeah, no problem. And that telling me that was a complete uh, thing to throw me off the scent. Yeah. He was coming all along. It was no well planned, but the surprise element was still there. Um, and you knew nothing but that he would actually arrive. So is he a kind of a chatty kind of a fella? Is he down to earth? Uh, he's, he's lovely. He's completely down to earth. Yeah, he is really, really, really nice. Yeah, so, and he shouted out the pub as well then at the start of the show in front of 10,000 people. Oh my God, it's an incredible thing to meet you. So they say sometimes you shouldn't meet your hero or your idol because they That's let you down. true, yeah. That wasn't the case, or it wasn't? That was most certainly not the case. He Did is the loveliest guy. So what you give him, Guinness, was it? I would give him a pint of Guinness, yeah. Uh, you're a, a Cork woman now. Surely be the god you have Murphy or Beamish in there, do you know? No, we didn't. No, no, we don't. Did, he, did he finish yeah. it? He drank three quarters of it. The reason, I asked that, the reason I asked that question is William and Kate had Guinness of the weekend for St. Patrick's and William uh -huh. apparently has tried many times, the Prince, to finish a pint of Guinness and has never managed to do it. It's just too much for him, you know? <laughs> well, he, he, Michael gave me the rest of his pint. It was about three quarters gone and he said, I'll have to give you that back. I have to go and do a sound check. So I said, no problem. I said, see you later, Rick. Thanks very much. <laughs> do you get good photographs from behind the bar? I, we didn't because obviously I didn't expect him to come in and the adrenaline rush was through the roof and he was, well, I mean, I got a TikTok made of them, so I don't suppose... Oh my God, but Audrey, has nobody got a photograph of him inside the book? I, I, got, a, I got a photograph of the TikTok video. <laughs> I, I photoshopped something off that. I got to ask you about the Fleeton Kicker pub and what brought you to Hamburg in the first place. Uh, my father opened the pub about 29 years ago and he retired five years ago and then I took it over completely. Oh, so you're there years and years then, are you? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm yeah. very ages. Do you get back? Is Crosshaven the home turf though? The whole, whole Crosshaven's always called the home turf. Yeah, I try and get back every year for a, a visit, if not twice a year. Listen, I think it's a fabulous story. It really and truly is. Thank it's just so magnificent. Much. And what's Fleet and Kicker mean? What is that? Fleet and Kicker, Hamburg has the second biggest port in Europe. And Fleet and Kicker is a, um, connected with the harbour, the water. And we are in an underground cellar. We're in the old town hall. So the building we're in goes back to the 1700s. Wow. Wow. Is Hamburg a nice place to visit? It's a beautiful city. Yeah. yeah. Really, yeah. really lovely. Okay, and um, you know, you do you do food or is it just drink or what do you put on no, music? No, no, we or? do we, we do food. We have live music every Friday and Saturday, and we show all the sports as well. Well, you got your dream come true with Michael Bublé. You're turning your attention on anybody it. else now. I can't really top that, really. Can I? <laughs> I'm glad it worked out for you. It's a great story. I, I'll be in my Bublé bubble for a bit longer. And so you should be. Did you have anything special on for St Patrick's Day in the pub? Oh, uh, we had a, a big party like we do every year. So. Uh, we had live music in the afternoon and then we had music in the evening. You won't wash your hands for years now? No, I've got the glass at home that you drank from. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. 
with the with the remnants of the Guinness still in it? Obviously. <laughs> well, well done. Thanks for sharing the story. I appreciate no you taking problem. the call. Thanks so much. No problem. Take, Take care. care. The great Bye-bye. Audrey leaves in Hamburg. Talking about old pubs, actually, and hers goes back to the 1700s. I was over in I was in Limerick on, on Saturday morning. I had to go over to um, Conlon's, the the BMW uh, mini mini dealers for you get some trading information on a car and stuff like that. Um, but I decided to come back, um, but not drive back on the main road. So I came back on the secondary scenic roads, which meant that I ended up driving through all of the beautiful. Galty Mountains all around me, you know, through places like Hospital and Knock Long and Bally Landers and places like Charleville and, and Buttevant, all sorts, oh, just gorgeous, gorgeous time. I haven't been, my grandfather's originally from, from Hospital, but it's been years since I've been there. Uh, don't know what the backstory to it is. In Hospital, they've got an awful lot of effigies and murals up there too. The Knights, I think it might have been important back in the days of the Crusade, but but anyway, enough of that. Uh, Charleville, though, I, talking about old pubs, while driving through Charleville, I came across two different pubs, and I, off the top of my head now, I can't remember exactly how old they were, but I know that one of them uh, said something like 1670. 1670. I think the other pub said something around 1750 or 1760 or something like that. But if there's anybody listening, I'm sure there is in Charleville, they can give us some more information with regards to those pubs because there, that's a seriously old pub. Like that goes back to Cromwellian times and apparently, um, you know, the, the Civil War and, and Charles II. And I was thinking that wouldn't be an interesting thing if Charleville decided to uh, invite the next Charles, as in Charles III to visit them in Charleville. But two very old pubs. So come back to me guys with some details on those public houses. Certainly um, the, the oldest of them seems to be somewhere around the mid 1600s. Text on that, particularly if you have the backstory. Text 0868104106. But just as a by the way, I'll come back to uh, other calls in a few minutes time. Uh, some great news. This is not related in any way, shape or form to uh, Live of the Marquee or anything like that. This is a gig that's just been announced at Cypress Avenue for the 20th of May. To those of you that are Pretenders fans, uh, Chrissy Hind of the Pretenders are heading to Leaside in May. Play Cypress Avenue. It's going to be an intimate gig, apparently, at Cypress Avenue. Great location for a gig like that. And Pretenders have just been announced for the 20th of May. I guess tickets are on sale right now if you're a Chris C. Hine and the Pretenders fan. I think it's great to have these gigs on Leaside. Bring that on and bring on Live of the Marquee and bring out more and Musgrave Park and down in Parky Queef. Um, just a couple of updates then by text. It's not only, we're talking about the guys to who will replace Ryan Tuberty on the Late Late Show. I gave you some of the odds from Paddy Power a while ago. It's the usual suspects who are in the running for the top job as usual. It's like go down to the RTE canteen and see who's in there. RTE needs to go outside the pool of talent there. They should run an X-Factor style audition, let people vote, and whoever wins, give them a 12-month contract, see what happens to the ratings. Even Jerry Ryan and Gay Byrne had to get a break at some stage. Why not now give somebody new, and I mean new, a chance, uh, says John. Text 0868104106. Thank you to the person who was so honest to hand back a bag found on the 220 bus last Monday. My daughter left a bottle of Joe Malone perfume behind her um, and I, I thought it was so decent of the person to hand it in and I would love to thank them. Well done for that. Uh, tell your caller to claim from Ryanair. You need to Google Ryanair EU261. 
he will get a 250 euro refund uh, per traveller. Uh, thank you for that. That's called the EU 261. And then on the price of things, and I was talking about the price of parking in Dublin on Friday night. Can't come on air as I'm working, but I took myself off to a takeout um, that you highlighted not long ago um, down Glanmire Way. The order was two fish and chips with curry instead of peas, one burger, one sausage, one carton of chips and peas, and two cokes. It was €51.90. This is talking about the cost of things. I live in Blackrock and takeout in Ballinlock or Douglas for that exact order would usually be between 35 and €37. So it's not just Dublin. Cork is very expensive too. He's saying that it would have been on average, say for instance in Douglas or Ballinlock, 35 to 37 but he paid 51.90. I wonder if you noticed the difference in the quality of the food. Text me on that. Text 0868104106. Back after the break. Get it off your chest. Call Neil Prenderville now on 0818104106. Red FM. I was talking earlier on this morning about heritage sites being vandalized right across the country and the OPW are just tearing their hair out as to why people would be vandalizing so many sites. And it kind of goes hand in hand, not with an act of vandalism, but certainly an act of rack things being allowed to go into a decrepit state and go to rack and ruin. Yesterday, uh, being Mother's Day, uh, we were visiting different graves. My mother's grave down in in St. Michael's and my wife's mother's grave over in um, uh, St. Finbar's. Uh, And I decided then, it was kind of on the spur of the moment thing, that I would also go and visit for the first time a third graveyard that I'd never been to before, and that is the Famine Graveyard, the Great Hunger Graveyard in Cars Hill. I'd never be there, been there before. And I have to say, I was shocked. It was absolutely depressing for the minute that I put, pulled up uh, what can be described as a bit of a car park outside. Uh, I mean, the, it's, I have some photographs that we actually shared on, on social last night, but it is, firstly, you're met with just litter everywhere. It's like as if somebody pulled up in their car, dumped all of their junk and their fast food litter and their crap all over the place. And then you have the the gates which are in a decrepit state, the signage is in a decrepit state, the area walking up and into the actual grave area itself is neglected, forgotten. Um, it's it's just, I mean, why has it been left to, to go such to such a decrepit state? It looks awful. And particularly because it's such an important memorial to so many people who lost their lives going back to the 1840s during what was deemed as being a famine at the time and for many years afterwards. But I couldn't understand why it's not cared for and manicured and looked after properly as a monumental site that has a bit of respect shown to it. Uh, so we put in a call to Kieran McCarthy, the independent co- councillor for uh, Cork City, indeed Cork historian himself, and joins me by phone. Kieran, good morning. Hi, Neil. How are you doing? Why, oh why, is it in such a shocking state? I mean, have you been there lately? Oh, yeah. Yeah, look, I, I, I have a, a regular um, walking tour of St. Mary's Hospital on the Great Famine, and Carousel comes up a lot, so I have been up there and done some, some research on the site. Um, and I came up in as, as well in the, in the recent mother and baby home inquiry. It's, there's, there's kind of a history kind of throughout that particular report as well of the more 20th century burials. I mean, I think that if, I think probably one of the reasons is that 
it, it's in HSC ownership, so it's not in city council ownership. So when when it did actually come into the the city area in 2019, I know I, I and others, including Councillor McFinn as well, we put down kind of motions to go look. Can the city council do more? I think they have been doing more, but I think the problem is, is that Nah, man, you could have fooled me. I didn't see any more there yesterday. Well, no more than like we've. Like, you need to. I mean, the question needs to be asked. Like, do we need a bigger car park there? Um, I, I mean, the, the answer that we're getting back from, let's say, the the city archaeology section is that you can't kind of encourage people to park up because it's, it's such a busy road. So it needs a bigger car park, and then the the right the right away is on private lands, even though there's a right-of-way there. So uh, yeah, I noticed that, the walk up along where, where all of the carts yeah. would have gone with the, with the bodies for the last 150-odd years, it's up a, a little narrow lane, not even a lane, yeah. it's a grassy lane next to a, yeah. somebody's when property. Council, the, the city council doesn't own the property. It's like the, there's a farmland all around us and then the HC have the, have the centre of this. And I'd say the HSC only in recent years have been put together like conservation plans, like even like within St. Mars Hospital, the old workhouse building itself or the, the large house down the back has only been recently kind of regenerated. So it's just yeah, I, I find it frustrating and then kind of other things come along in council and we're kind of swept away with that I mean I was kind of looking at it a year and a half ago and then the NTA stuff came along and then you're swept away on that journey so no you've kind of encouraged me now to go back and revisit again and open because the signage there is, is very limited very inadequate there are a couple of plaques there that are shabby and overgrown and hard to read it's like as if it's not respectful is, is what I'm saying to what, you know to what happened and why it was there in the first place What's the backstory yeah, to it? Uh, opened in January eighteen forty-seven to, um, to to cope with the overflow of, of dead bodies in St. Mary's Hospital, but South St. Mary's Hospital in the workhouse off Douglas Road, um, between I, I, between so it's open in the heart of the Great Famine, Black forty-seven, and then between February and June eighteen forty-seven, over two thousand bodies were basically dumped in pits. Like well, look, we we have all the minute books from. Uh, the late 1840s from the Board of Guardians who were running the workhouse and uh, some of the stuff is just horrific to read, Neil, to be honest. I mean, it's, there was like four to five, three to four people packed into these um, light wooden coffins. They were basically, the coffins were dumped into large trenches um, and just completely built up. Um, no, no one got a proper burial. Um, and I, I kind of get this sense kind of all the way into the 1960s that it was kind of a a burial ground with no headstones and so on. So you're talking like hundreds and thousands of people actually. How many there. would you would you tend to put a figure on it? Two thousand, three thousand, four, five? Oh no, I'd say it was a principal graveyard. I'd say for a hundred years, um, especially people who couldn't afford to be buried there. I mean, I, I think it'd be an interesting research project maybe to send out to your listeners. Do they know anyone who's actually buried there? And because uh, I, I did a walking tour I give of St. Finbar's Hospital, which is actually coming up again for the Lifelong Learning Festival shortly. Like I've had people on the tour, kind of who live on South Douglas Road, remembering people being carted off to car to Cars Hill in the early 1960s. Um, so you're talking at least over like 110, 120 years of burials. So uh, it could be sure closer to five or ten thousand that I would have been walking upon their grave yesterday in this uh, untended yeah, every- untended field. Yeah, and everywhere you walk, there's graves. I mean, I think one of the issues is that the HSC or the City Council can't dig down into it because you need a licence. Um, I know there has been some survey work done the last year 
um, by the city council's archaeology section just to check the ground beneath. I'm sure there's just bodies after body after body. So, like, whatever conservation plan or maintenance plan is created, you want to be a very, very sensitive one. Um, like, perhaps, yeah. No, I mean, I, I agree with you, and it's something that I've been trying to raise and trying to find the solution. For. Don't you think it's important enough to be shown respect and some money to oh, yeah. do it up and to protect it like other people would remember major events in their history, but we don't remember a major event in Cork history with the condition that it's in. Yeah, no, I agree with you. It's not from a lack of, of, of raising it. I mean, as I said, it's not in City Council's ownership. It's in HSC ownership. Like HSC, like they're, I mean, they do heritage, but not to a major way. Like it's not going to be, uh, I've never seen a plan for uh, a walk around site and loads of interpretive panels and so on. I think oh, that's man, just because of the main road. Depressing. Oh, yeah. And then great credit is due to there is a Cork commemoration group um, that every year they have a commemoration. I think Pat Gunn and others were, were doing it for many, many years. Uh, and also then you have the story of uh, the the Iron Cross that was put up by a Cork taxi driver, Booney Sorensen, in the, in the 1950s as well. So he built that entire big massive cross in his south side home over a period of time, the front garden or something, did he? Yeah, yeah, that's what I've heard. But then I've heard other kind of legends as well that it could have been the cross that came from Inascara Dam, actually, that was overlooking Inascara Dam when it was being built by the French way back in the, in the mid-50s. I thought so I saw old black and white photographs of him assembling it at his home, somewhere in Balafihan or Toker or something like that. I can't remember. Actually, yeah, Pat Gunn joins me by phone. He might be able to fill us in on that yeah, one, yeah. Uh, the big cross that lights up at night. Pat, good morning. Good morning, Kevin. Yeah, it's it's Neil. I know you were chatting with Kevin earlier on, Pat, and thank you so much for stopping by. Um, what's the what's the history to the cross first? Well, the history of the cross goes back to about 1959, uh, when Olaf William Olaf Sorensen, uh, he with others uh, assembled the cross as far as I have uh, ascertained in the garden of his home. On the Victoria Road. The Victoria Road, uh, sir. Yeah. yeah. Uh, as you're going down towards the roundabout there at the top of um, of uh, the Monaghan Road, you know. Gotcha. Uh, Albert yeah. Road, that yeah. area and there on the left-hand side. Yeah. And uh, his house was there, and it had a side garden. Uh, he assembled it there bit by bit and uh, brought it up and erected it in uh, Cartill. Up to then, uh, nobody knew anything much about the uh, the, the graveyard. Uh, I certainly didn't know about it until, until, you know, around about that time when I was quite young. Yeah. And um, he then managed to, to uh, get the cross lit. Um, I'm told after he was taking a free feed from the ESB without their permission. Oh, dear. And uh, got into a lot of trouble and they nearly seized his home, apparently. Go for it. Pay for the bill. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but he managed to, uh, to get out of that one. But have you visited uh, it? You're part of the Cork Famine Group, though. Have you visited recently? I have visited on and on. I'm always uh, in and out there. And it, it, as you say, it's a neglected area. And that's why... I got involved and, and uh, started off this group, the Cork and, and, uh, and County Salmon Group. Um, elderly guys like myself, uh, a lot of us had been guides down in Charlesfort with the OPW and retired and got together. And with the help of uh, Brian Birmingham, who was the Lord Mayor, in 2009, in fairness to him, he did his, his best. Uh, to assemble people from 
both the uh, city council and the county council to come together and have meetings up there. And um, out of one of those meetings, actually, a photograph was taken by Leo McMahon of the uh, Southern Star, and uh, it went out and about, and it was picked up by a group in London, uh, Pilot Films, and they were a documentary group, and they sent over a team uh, over to Cork, and uh, they did a program on uh, on Irish food. And part of that program was uh, to talk about the famine and the potato and all of that. Yeah. That went with it. And uh, they made that documentary. I was interviewed uh, in the old part of... Um, Hospital but I would be ashamed. I would be ashamed to bring a television crew there to so show them that neglect. To be honest well, with you, yeah. But the problem is that uh, I've endeavoured on many, many occasions uh, in company with Conor Elligan, who was the uh, heritage officer, still is, I think, of the county council. Uh, no, of course, it's Steve Toomey in the city council. Uh, but Conor was very active uh, on our behalf to try and get things moving. But there are so many obstacles that arose. Number one, as um, uh, as already been said, uh, the the, the uh, graveyard itself, the inside of the wall part, uh, is uh, part of the the, the HSC. Yeah. They own that. Yeah. Uh, and uh, outside it, then you have um, uh, private land. Yeah. His 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 land outside. I know okay. a very nice man. Yeah. We went up to him and we talked to him uh, around about 1918 when the uh, famine commemoration, the annual famine commemoration, was due to come to Cork, and an information plaque was erected. Eventually, with his permission, because oh, I know, I, I, and I have seen that, and fair play to yeah. him for allowing it and facilitating. And but when you compare it, it to what Skibbereen has done with regards to um, remembering our famine dead, they put us to shame. I'm, I'm losing you there, Paddock. If you can move around a little bit, and when we get a cleaner line, I'll come back to you. Let me put that point to Kieran McCarthy. Kieran, again, yeah. when you see what they've done in Skibbereen, they would put us to shame. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree. But I mean, as Pat said, it's not from a, a shortage of pressure and lobbying from the, those of us who are into heritage. It's just, it, yeah, it's just to put the pressure on the HSC to come up with a better plan for okay, us. Okay, uh, and just, just and again... I, and I think that, that's ongoing. I mean, yeah, yeah, well, maybe by even talking about it now, it might make, yeah, make, yeah, make yeah, some, some small no, bit of difference. But, so we are talking about in the 1840s, um, St. Joseph's was full, wasn't it? Um, and there were yeah, many, think, many people dying. So they put out a contract for somebody to take the bodies of the famine dead. Yeah, and so the, actually it was the, the workhouse storeman at the time who later, I think two or three years later, became the, the master of the workhouse and he got the contract on, like, on a five-acre site. Um, but there was one of, there was an issue at the time that you were supposed to build your grave, graveyard next to workhouses and I think there was a bit of controversy that this was actually outside of the city quite a bit bit away, but the St. Joseph's was, was full, so I think there was pressure to take on uh, George Carr's uh, application or his tender project uh, and they actually took it on and actually in the first as I said it was like 2,000 people buried over the first four months there in trenches and just um, and then we've got reports then that in the first 
two months that the bodies weren't buried uh, deep enough. They were, they were buried in shallow trenches, and so some of the dogs in Carrigaline were digging up bodies Good and God. Bringing, them, bringing them home. And oh, then, my God. In a nutshell, then, like there was a big, huge court case, uh, a local uh, police court in Douglas that tried to try George Carr, and, of course, like he, that that didn't happen. And so he, he, like, he lost the contract, and he got it again because he was the only tangible person with a, with a massive five-acre site. And... <laughs> And, um, and so then after the famine passed, of course, and there were a couple of other also potato failures, and I know that, but then who was being buried? It became a pauper's graveyard then for many decades, did it? Yeah, yeah, easily for 120 years, as I said, and I think that's where we we don't have that much information. We've got loads of information on how it was set up and who George Carr was. We've got loads of information on the workhouse in Douglas Road and we've got loads of information on the great famine in the city and how it kind of, uh, what, like post the famine and how it remained as a pauper graveyard. And um, my gut is that they were still digging trenches there in the early 20th century and just dumping bodies in a sense. I mean, yeah, we need to do more work. I, I think what was interesting about the modern baby report Board is that it did actually say that there were, there were a number of uh, paupers and children that were taken from St. Finbar's Hospital of the 50, during the 30s and 40s and buried in, uh, in Caris Hill, but I need to do some more work on that. So these would be Besborough babies as well? Um, there's a reference within the Besborough kind of section in the Mother and Baby Home report that, yeah, perhaps they are, that some of the babies are buried up in Caris Hill. Um, but again, that's just an assumption because we don't have like the exact documents going here is where the babies are buried. And I think that links to the whole debate on where the babies buried at Besborough. Are they buried in Besborough? So that we don't have the exact documents. Yeah, no, I was just was reading buried. last night that they did. And this is a quote actually from one of the articles I read online. It said, what is certain is that Cars Hill was used as a burial ground for abandoned and stillborn children and unknown individuals up until the 1940s. Yeah, yeah, unknown individuals, paupers. I mean, we, we know that part of St. Finbar's Hospital, what's on St. Finbar's Hospital, but well into the 1950s, 1960s, they, were, they still actually had paupers actually there, and people that were actually doing some sort of form of work. Um, I got one story on my walking tour of someone who, who recalls someone in the 1970s who was just, who was working there. He was a pauper. He was just, he was just um, cleaning out hallways and, and bedrooms and so on. So that kind of workhouse system that was created way back during the, t- uh, just before the Great Famine was still hanging around well into like the 1960s, 1970s. Now laws had changed, but um, yeah, the more impoverished were still involved. That's so, very sad. And it's like, it's just so disrespectful to all of their memories. Isn't that right, Pat? Yeah, it's, yeah. it's about respect. Isn't it, Pat? I don't know. Can you hear me now? Maybe his line's improved. Is your line any better now, Pat? I wonder. Yeah, it seems to be. From okay. My end, anyway. okay. Is okay. that okay with you? Yeah. Okay. Is there anything you wanted to add to the history of it that I touched on with Kieran McCarthy? Well, uh, what I would like to say is that um, we do hold an annual uh, commemoration, actually in uh, St. Joseph's graveyard, because there are. There are famine pits there as well. There are two major famine pits in St. Joseph's graveyard. And every year we do hold uh, an annual commemoration for all those who died in the famine and are buried in both uh, St. Joseph's and in Cars Hill as well. Uh, usually attended by the Lord Mayor and with okay. uh, yeah. Leah Rees uh, as well. But how many do you estimate those. could be buried in total in Cars Hill? It's Have you very f- difficult to be exact, but I would say there's over 20,000 people up there. 20,000? Yeah, I would say so. In the I size of that field, it's not a big field. 
It's not, but if you walk the field and you'll find the whole place is given over to humps and hollows, it's, it was never smoothed out. The graves were never flattened, if you like. 20,000, and it's in yeah. that kind of condition. We need well, to get I mean, I, I can't say exactly... I know what I'm only asking you for. Yeah, 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 you yeah. Know? I got you. Uh, but yeah. uh, in the, the Hill of the like it's, uh, it's, it's something that has been neglected down through the years. I always feel that that place up there, that grave out there, should look like the uh, the, the graves in the, in France, uh, World War One and two graves. One hundred percent agree with you. Totally you know, agree with you. Hundred percent. Um, now, lots of plans have been made uh, over the years uh, to have it turned into a heritage centre, and the plans were made and they were formulated and they were submitted. I'm talking now about uh, over 25, 30 years ago and nothing happened to them. They're just uh, languishing there. Connor Nelligan from the uh, uh, the County Council will tell you all about that. And they've not been acted upon. Uh, nowadays, of course, it's more complicated again with the new road system. Oh, and it's know. a very dangerous road and a very fast-moving road. Yeah, I, 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 understand, I understand that everything when, is stacked against it. When the roads it. are yeah. over and, and finished, I think then uh, a proper effort should be made uh, to have that graveyard turned into what it should be, a shrine. Thank you a so much. Thank you so much. Yeah. Who died during that period. And, that many, period and for many years afterwards. Pat Gunn, thank you from the Cork Famine Group. Kieran, it would be great if someone could knock heads together between City Council yeah, yeah. and the HSE, wouldn't it? In all fairness, like. Yeah, no, no I'm, I'm, I'll keep the pressure on it. No, you've reactivated it in my own mind. I'll, I'll, I'll go after it again. Now. Okay, my man. Thanks for the update. Thanks for the backstory. No, Appreciate it as always. Cork historian Kieran McCarthy. Just a final word on this. Dermot Aquila. Quail has been listening. I wanted to uh, wanted to jump in on Cars Hill. Good morning, Diamond. Good morning, Neil. How are you doing? What, do you, what can you add to the story? Yeah, there, there's a, a few glaring points. I think the discussion there has missed, and that is that there is a group in Cork called Ungartamoor Memorial Project Group, which hold a ceremony up on Cars Hill on the second Sunday of every September, and later in November, matching All Souls Day at um, St Joseph Cemetery, but. For information purposes, there are 30,000 people buried up in Cars Hill. Now, you're saying 30. Pat was estimating 20. Why do you say 30,000? In the size of that field... If someone looked, there's a sign up there erected by Cork County Council a few years ago, which tells you that there's 30,000. And any basic research into it will tell you that figure, that there are 30,000 up there. And the scandal that surrounds that site is that in nearly 180 years since Black 47, neither Cork County Council nor Cork City Council has even erected a cross up on that gravesite. Not even a cross in memory of the people to respect them. And neither have they erected in Cork City, in the greater area, a memorial to the people who were the victims of that, what was a genocide in our country. Yeah. Not one memorial. Yeah. Yet we have a city council here which honours the name of Victoria, who presided over that terrible yeah. Yeah. period of our history. Yeah. So there's disrespect going on to the memory of those people. And I, I phoned you because I can't let that go by without taking, without you know, calling it out. Cork City Council should be ashamed of itself. So should Cork County Council. That's such a momentous event in the history of Ireland, not to mind Cork. And I think in the greater Cork City area, there's records of over 100,000 people who died in that period. And do they not matter? These are the people of Cork. 
It sounds as if it's just they wouldn't been... even put a cro- They wouldn't even put a cross up there in memory of the people. The one that was there, as you pointed out, was erected by voluntary effort, yeah. entirely by voluntary effort. Yeah. Yeah. And they don't come and mark the occasion at all. It's our they story, isn't it? It's it. one of the most um, sad and disgraceful periods in our history. Well, it is. Un- and, under and British rule, reconciled. I understand that. Uh, we uh, haven't reconciled to it. And to reconcile to it, we have to know what happened and research it and tell the truth of what happened, yeah. that all these people died while there was literally thousands of tons of food in was, Cork. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Do, you know, do you know, Neil, Cork was the centre of world trade in butter at that time. Yeah, no, you know, it wasn't what? a famine. It wasn't a famine. There was an abundance no. of food. It was, there it was, was plenty of food there. So why can we not tell the truth of what happened in the period? And if we don't tell the truth, then really can we say we're respecting the memory of our own ancestors? Well, it certainly and isn't we, being respected on what I saw yesterday. We need to stop honouring this Queen Victoria on the streets of Cork. It's an absolute shameless scandal. Oh, you're, you're, you're talking about our signage that still references yeah, many of them. Yeah, we have streets named honouring yeah. Queen Victoria. Yeah. At yeah. least 10 of them around Cork City. Yeah, tell the true story. Tell the real story. Tell about. Tell really the story. Happened. Yeah, put up a sign beside Victoria's name yeah. and say what she presided over. She, she apparently did give an awful lot of grief, though, to the politicians of the day to help oh. the Irish, and she, she also she allegedly reached, contributed huge amounts of money. profits. Her companies reached, reached tons of profits by the manipulation of trade, which all had to be channeled through... Um, through the empire, through England, mm. we weren't even as a country even allowed to control our trade, and they exported tons. We were, I think, the biggest exporter of grain in Europe at the time. Yeah, yeah, cattle as well, and, yeah. and our own were dropping dead. And Cork City Council and Cork County Council have not seen fit to even put a cross. They don't up own on that it site. though; it's HSC land, so ah, they're well, culpable too. They can escape out of anything they like. I, I will acknowledge one thing in fairness to the HSC: every year, as we organise a memorial ceremony up there, which over over the hundred people each time attended, they at least they go up there when we ask them and they have the grass cut. Other than that, nothing would happen up there. Yeah, but that's only nothing. a sop. There should be huge work well, on there. There should be, of course, there should be, and there should be access. There should be an interpretation center. There and, should. It's just uh, awful. And and there should be memorials in the city. They're talking, there's memorials to all kinds of odd things in Cork. Nothing to our own people who who were l- allowed to starve needlessly. So I just wanted to make the Thank point you, that Thank you. this thing is is memorised and Cork City and County Council should be ashamed of themselves Thank for their for neglect. Thank you, Dermot O'Quayle. Text 0868104106. Have you gone up there, I wonder, people listening to me right now? How many people have actually ever visited? I have to say, uh, I was expecting a lot better. I really was. And even when I was up there walking around, I'm saying... I must be missing something. There's got to be something else to this than what I'm actually seeing with my own two eyes. I mean, I don't mean to overly dramatise things, but it's absolutely shocking considering what happened and the amount of people. Dermot says it could be upwards of 30,000 buried there. Text 0868104106. Get it off your chest. Text The Neil Brinderville Show now. 086-8104-106. Red FM. I know we got very much swept along last week with different stories, but I had been dealing and listening to people telling the stories of their loved ones who passed away during COVID, particularly at Ballynoe Nursing Home. But I got a lovely email in from Margarita. said, I wanted to thank you for the coverage of what happened in Ballynoe Nursing Home. We as a family are so grateful to you and your team for highlighting this very important issue, giving people an opportunity to share their own tragic stories. I had two family members residing there at the time of all of the deaths. It was genuinely 
horrendous. It has deeply affected us, the manner in which they were treated during this time. Sadly, my uncle passed away during this period, but my aunt thankfully survived. Please keep this story going. In spite of the hard work involved in it, we cannot allow this to happen again. And that's from Marguerite by email to Neil at redfm.ie. So, yes, indeed, I did move along actually last week, but that isn't to say that I'm not finished with that topic of conversation and stories regarding uh, nursing home deaths and the treatment of patients and families and what have you in a very difficult time in our recent history. Uh, nor am I finished actually with the topic of this book is gay because we got a huge response to that also last week, the book in the library, in the uh, I'm going to say children, some might say young adolescents section of the library. So there's that and lots more besides. But just very quickly, don't forget to text who you are and where you are. And most importantly, why you and your colleagues deserve our Monday treat of a big box of donuts from Offbeat Donuts on French Church Street. So text who you are and where you are. Most importantly, why you and your colleagues deserve this Monday treat. If it's a big company, the bigger you are, the more we'll send you up to five boxes, like we're talking up to 60 donuts delivered this lunchtime. So text or WhatsApp 0868 104 106. Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 0818 104 106. Yeah. Cork's Red FM. And in lighter news, because we were under fierce pressure on Thursday as we were getting off the air. I know I had the audio of Langer Dan winning in Cheltenham and I never got to play it, but I don't think we could let the opportunity go without at least hearing a few seconds of the commentary of Langer Dan. As far as I'm concerned, he won it 10 to 1. I know some people got 9s and some got 8s, but... Uh, a victory's a victory's a win's a win and we take it for car. Campron down towards the last has the advantage it's two or three lengths from in second place an epic song then Langer down up the hill Campron has the advantage Langer down and an epic song throwing down challenges Langer down and Campron between the pair an epic song Langer down an epic song and Campron a finish of heads and the Langer down has got his festival win the aeroplane salute from his rider well done boy well done Langer down Hey, it's Dave. Join me weekdays from four for Dave Max Drive, where I'll help get you home or give you a little lift at home. Big hits, loads of fun features, and traffic info. What more could you need? Join me weekdays from four. Dave Max Drive. The Neil Prenderville Show, Red FM. Text 0868104106. Pick up the phone on 0818104106. Sean from West Cork says, Can I just say that you should visit Hamburg if you ever can? Uh, the Fleet and Kicker pub and Audrey's pub in Hamburg. It's a brilliant city. And if you come from Cork, they will love you there. Biggest welcome I have ever received. While you're there also visit the Shamrock Pub and the Irish Rover, says Sean in West Cork. Hand on my heart I'm just not a fan of Irish pubs overseas I'm just not. I never really was. I mean, no disrespect to those that do. The Fleet and Kicker though sounds like somewhere I would go. I prefer to go to a German pub or in France a French pub or in England an English pub rather than these Unfortunately, I'm probably casting a wide brush against all of the uh, Irish pubs all over the world, but a lot of the time they're just kind of like, I don't know, kid pubs, I suppose. Probably getting trouble for saying that. Uh, something worth mentioning, if not already, and disappointment um, for Cork. Um, at Cork Bio article, there being no Parky Queef gigs in 2023 due to a lack of major acts on tour. Well, I hope that isn't the case. Well, you never know what 2023 might uh, be like for Parky Creek, but certainly we will have quite a lot in Musgrave Park and certainly 
live at the marquee. And then others suggesting that it's Tommy Tiernan should host the Late Late. Full stop. Just park the rest of it. Give the gig to Tommy. With regards to the Michael Bublé story, it's sad that the only person who referred to St. Patrick's Day was sadly an Irish person. Why is that? I'm not quite sure what you mean by that regarding the Michael Bublé story. Is it, Do you think that too many people are going around saying... Paddy's Day. And then we bit, or at least Claire did, a deep dive into the cost of chippers in Glanmire. Because the texter says, uh, I took myself off to a takeout in Glanmire because you highlighted it not long ago. The order was for two fish and chips with curry instead of peas. One burger, sausage, carton of chips and peas, two Cokes. 51 euro 90. He says, I live in Blackrock and the takeout in Ballinlock or Douglas for that exact order would usually cost between 35 and 37 euro. So it's not just Dublin. Cork is very expensive too. Well, what it shows really is that by shopping around, you can get value for money. And I'm finding that really the same can be said for cars, particularly with if you have something that you want to trade in. Not all of the dealers will give you a fair deal on your, your trade-ins. You know, they'll... A lot of the time, they lowball you. So, shopping around is very important. So, Claire took a look at uh, two uh, chippers that do take out out of uh, Glanmire. And we just randomly looked at Luciano's and we looked at O'Reilly's. O'Reilly's recently won a big national award for best takeout in, in Ireland. So, we looked at exactly that order, right? That texture says was 59, €51.90 in Glanmire. So we looked at the order in Luciano's and this would be for chips and peas, Coca-Cola Classic, two fish suppers with curry sauce, a jumbo sausage and a regular burger. And it came in at €28.30 for that exact same order in Luciano's, €28.30. And then we did the exact same order in O'Reilly's and I am not doing this in any way uh, to cast any aspersions on them or in a way criticize them their prices are their prices it's none of my concern but the exact same order chips and peas two coca-cola classics two fish suppers a jumbo sausage and a regular burger in o'reilly's 46.55 all right so in luciano's 28.80 and in o'reilly's 46.55 and both of those are for collection and he's saying that he paid 51.90 which is a little higher than the 46.65. I don't know, did he leave something out or whatever the case may be? But on the south side, Ballinlock, which probably would be the Golden Fry, and possibly Douglas would either be Dino's or KC's, in and around 35 to 37. So it really does pay to shop around. But certainly, Luciano's doing the business at 28.80. Back after the break, Pat Toomey standing by. Call the Neil Prenderville Show now. 0818 104 Red FM. Okay, I hope, don't mean to be talking too much, but uh, it's interesting just thinking about the Cork Bio article saying no Parky Cueve gigs in 2023 due to a lack of major acts on tour. And then I got thinking, the same could be said, I suppose, if you like, about the Late Late Show. The calibre of the guests over the years has gone lower and lower and lower, and it's a bit of a yawn fest for many people but um, for those that watch it that, that's your own business but I know that um, Graham Norton has been saying he was telling me some years back when I was doing some interviews with him that uh, you know London you'll always get the big acts like they're just falling over each other in London by and large the ones that he gets of course are, are the cream of the crop for Graham Norton's television shows because they all have something to sell it could be a book it could be a film, it could be their latest movie or whatever, but they'll always be in London. They don't tend to travel as much uh, to Ireland or, or Dublin for that matter. So you're not getting the same calibre of act. And I suppose the same could be said, they're saying Porky Cueve, no gigs due to a lack of major acts on tour. 
but they're all on tour. I mean, there's an awful lot of big acts touring, but whether or not they include, include Ireland on their itinerary or not, that's for another day. Anyway, text 0868 104 106. I want to update on Mother's Day from Thursday's programme because I think I still have a few prizes still left to give away with huge interest and some fabulous, fabulous stories. See that lovely story of the 108-year-old Cork mum. She's a superwoman, Kitty Jeffers. Jeffrey, I should say, Kitty Jeffrey. She's 108 years old. And it's a lovely article uh, across the weekend about her celebrating her 108th birthday. Apparently, she thought she was only 103. She says... When, when they told her she was 108, she says, I couldn't be. Um, there's nobody that old. Am I really that old? At 108 and still going strong. Uh, Kitty Jeffrey. So more on that uh, between now and quitting time. But back to Cars Hill, to the famine graveyard. And I, I, use the, uh, I use the word famine reservedly, but that's what it is. It is the famine memorial to what could be upwards of 30,000 people buried there. I don't know, have you been there, guys? I'd love to hear from you with regards to uh, what you think of the state of it. Prompted a call from Pat Toomey, Pat Toomey the, the stonecutter. Pat, good morning. Morning, Neil. Uh, well, have you visited up there, Pat? Do you know it? I haven't. I haven't. No, I passed it several times, just like yourself, yeah. and often wondered, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, I um, was the same for many, many years, and then yesterday yeah, I finally did it on a wet, damp, drizzly day. It was... Mm-hmm. Awfully sad to see the state of the place. Really and truly terrible. That that's 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 just a shocking disgrace to, to the to the to the council. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's yeah. as much city council, county council, and the HSC. They 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 all have guilt on their hands, really, and really should put it right. But you got in touch because I remember talking to you. Uh, about Mary Smith's brother, a very moving story that Mary Smith told about her brother Christy. Remember. What was that story? Just remind people of it again. Uh, I, I think she buried her brother above in, 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 in her, her man, was it? Above in, in, in Kilcully. Yeah, was it Kilcully or was it Corrocapon? Sorry, Corrocapon. Yeah, Corrocapon. Yeah, we never actually found that grave. But you got in touch because you wanted to put a little plaque there, wasn't it? Yes, but we, we never actually found that grave. What, what, what the grave we did find was the one in Kilcully, the girl prior. That was crying on her mother's grave every morning and every evening. They couldn't get her off it. Oh, that was so sad. I remember that. As we put a plaque on it. Yeah, yeah. What did we you put up there? That. We just put up a, a, a black heart to the to the to the lady. Um, but the the the, the, the job in 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 Corrocapon, we we never actually found that grave. That grave was never. Never to anybody that's been to Corrupacapon, you could understand why, couldn't you? It's like it's so. No, old. I, 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 I have carried out a huge contract for the for the for the HSC on Corrupacapon years back. It must be ten years ago now, um, more maybe fifteen years ago. We we we, we covered off um, a whole section of of, of the, the the convent graveyard with the, the side of it we call it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then what did you do when, then? When, I, when, I, when I've heard this this morning, like, like <laughs> look, I'm not on here exploiting um, uh, media for, for my business at all. I'm not, right? I don't need it, right? Mm. But these people that are buried up here on this graveyard that you speak of, mm. right? It's a cemetery. It's a burial place. For God's sake. Marcus. Yeah. Yeah, respect and it. And I have no problem in supplying a plaque and lettering it. 
to that effect. Yeah, there are there are a couple of ones there, but they've been left to go. No, no, you know, no, no. This is main, I, I, I will supply a main plaque for outside the gates just to tell people what's in there. Because right? there's nothing on the road whatsoever, except a sign and, and a no, rusty no, no. gate. And, and what, 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 I, what I find, and I, I think that the OPW should be ashamed of, right? Ashamed of, is that you have the likes of Farnwood, the place where I live here, on the Ballyhora, right? Uh, all walkways for dogs and, and people that have passed through and that have donated their time and a few pounds of their taxpayers' money and they're in retirement taking their dogs and themselves for a walk. There is absolutely nothing at the edge of any park mm. to commemorate the passing through of the passing of the people and their dogs. Mm. Mm. Which is, they only have to put it there once. It doesn't, you, it doesn't mention any name. Yeah. What should be there? I mean, what, what, I'm not quite following you. People walk in the area with their dogs. What, what are you they saying? They do, but, but in, in, in memory of the people that pass through with their, with their, with their dogs, you know, a simple thing. It's a simple, it's a simple gesture. It's, it's not, it, it's not going to cost millions to do it. This will cost a few Oh, pounds. I mean, that would be a nice touch, but 30,000 people, many of them paupers, the vast majority of them dying in the famine from hunger, in Cork you City, suburbs and county, yeah. and it's just yeah. being ignored. And every year that passes, yeah. it goes worse and worse and worse. I mean, it would be like if I had people back. Are you trying to tell me, Neil, that it's, if you didn't ask two weeks ago to put up, put up a GoFundMe for that, that there wouldn't be 30 or 40,000? I don't know, would there be? I don't I, know. I, I never doubt there would. There absolutely would. Yeah, I, I don't know. The Cork yeah. people? The Cork people? No. No. No one wants that. We just want the plaque. Yeah, I, don't, I think they'd need to go and see it first. Um, Simple thing. You know, like... Look, a, a, you see, the bureaucracy now will take over here and it will cost millions. But I'd be ashamed to bring somebody up there if I had somebody visiting Cork. It would not be on my itinerary, well, even if they I mean, brought then, up then, the then, famine. Then you, then you leave it to bureaucracy and hence why it is the way it is. Yeah, I know, I know, I know, know. I know. All right, but, but that's, that's, that's Well, I, I don't know if you can do that or would you be prevented from doing I probably, something? I probably wouldn't be allowed to do it, but, but, I, but I, I would like to make a plaque, absolutely, and donate it free of charge to the memory of the people I never knew. Well, if I put you in touch with Karen, Karen McCarthy, the, the historian, maybe we I could make that no happen problem. at least yeah, and see if that's yeah. possible. It's a very generous offer of you because it wouldn't yeah, be cheap. No yeah. Absolutely, yeah. And, and like, no, no, no thousands involved or, you know, like, what, what's wrong with people? This, this is where they rest. You're standing up on top of them. I was yesterday. Have respect. I was standing and walking over 13,000. You didn't know 000. that, Neil. I didn't know there well, was did that. You didn't know it before you went in. You wouldn't do it. Oh, I did. I did know it, but I didn't know. Well, I didn't. I didn't know what else to do. You have. That's oh, the only way you can get into the centre of it. And there's there's actually nothing in the centre to see except a very shabby me? little plaque about um, the, the, about the one of the candidates, Kennedy pe- clan. People are too self indulged. They're, they're too self-indulged and they're, they're too concentrated in themselves. Well, I tell you one thing that is a problem in that area. If you park up there and go in, right, it's easy enough to park up, you pull in off the road. But trying to get out back onto the main Cars Hill Road is deadly dangerous. Right. Yeah, yeah, Deadly, not, you know, no, that doesn't help. Yeah. But listen, I'll put you in touch with Karen McCarthy. If that happens, that would be one step in the right direction. But you're, okay, you're, you're flying anyway because you're, you're a stone cutter by trade. So you right. make headstones, you build them, but you also blast them, don't you, and bring them back to... Yeah, we, yeah, we, we do commercial sandblasting as well, yeah. To yeah. clean them and everything. Yeah. 
Absolutely. Okay, yeah. okay. Listen, um, Thank thanks for getting in touch, Pat. I'll give you a shout off the air because I have a few graves that I know of that need work. So I'll okay. give you a bell all later right, on, all right? But th- I'll give no your problem. details to Kieran McCarthy, all right? Thank you. Take care. To me, the Stonecutter is company is called Moblast, and that's a very kind and generous offer. Thank you for it. Text 0868104106. The Neil Prendeville Show on Cork's Red FM. Our phone lines remain open after midday. 0818104106. I'll go back to the phone lines in a couple of minutes' time. Just a little bit of housekeeping. It's Monday, so with offbeat donuts, if you have the Monday munchies, you still have about 10 minutes to text who you are and where you are. Most importantly, why you and your colleagues deserve our Monday Monday treat of delicious donuts from Offbeat Donuts on French Church Street, creating circles of obsessions. And you'll get the uh, chocolate ganache, the praline cream, the red velvet, the caramel pecan, the Offbeat's jam donuts, and lots more besides. The bigger the company, the more you get up to five boxes. That's 60 donuts. So text or WhatsApp 0868104106. Morning, guys. I'd love it for my work colleagues in, work colleagues in Farnley Community Nursing Unit. We didn't get to celebrate St. Patrick's Day. We were all working. So we needed a sugar rush today there's 12 after a 12 hour shift that's carol uh, at the sycamore ward in dennehy's cross regarding those delicious donuts as a patient for the last five weeks i feel nobody deserves them more than the incredible staff at st patrick's ward in the mercy they continually care for and tend above and beyond the call of duty the cleaners the orderlies the nurses the doctors they're all brill and a token of acknowledgement in the form of delicious donuts would be just the ticket, says Kieran Kramer. Kramen, Kremen, I should say. My apologies, Kieran Kremen. So that's a lovely one as well. Carol Morgan is working with the Marlborough Trust offices and would love to treat the teammates to delicious donuts to get them motivated for the week after ending last week on a high after their wins with Cheltenham. Well, if you don't win... You could buy yourself a box of donuts for the proceeds of Cheltenham. Kendellan Construction, Barry and the team, the CUH, they deserve a treat. They're always working in the background, upgrading the rooms and the wards, among other things, and also not just for the construction team there, but the patients and doctors too. And another few here, the IT support team at the HSE. Still very tired from the long weekend. Donuts would make us feel better, says Orla, with the account management department. Um, of PFH in Little Island uh, Shane at Pipe Life Little Island working hard uh, and just one or two more the Cork Clinic they need to pick me up on this miserable morning so good morning to Lisa Sharon Grace Trassa and Emer. Marie and the girls from the Flower Pot Cafe in St Finbar's Hospital uh, in Douglas they'd love a treat for everyone who works so hard there and two more the gang at Stryker desperate from, for some comfort donuts to help us through a tough Monday after the Patrick's weekend says Brian and Doyle Shipping in Tivoli we love to win the donuts to start the sweet, the week off sweet you do not know how much it would mean to us <laughs> alright we'll get another few shout outs this side uh, of midday I- incidentally uh, I want to just do um uh, an update on all of the different prizes that we gave away on Thursday for Mother's Day. I got some lovely texts that I didn't get on air, unfortunately, but one or two of them are just so beautiful. I do want to read them out this side of midday and just update you because I think I just might have one or two prizes left from Thursday. But can I just move to St. Patrick's Day, which was Friday? And if you were in the city, there was an incredible buzz there. And of course, um, many of the photographs were shared online. Red FM were all over it on Facebook and on Twitter and what have you. And there's some loads of double page spreads right across the weekend of photographs from the St. Patrick's Day parades uh, and the buzz on Leaside. A lot of little businesses doing their thing as well uh, for St. Patrick's Day. Amongst them uh, was Paula, who joins me by phone. Paula, good morning. 
or at least should have been doing a lot of business. Hi. Can you hear me all right? I can. How do how you, pr- you how do you pronounce that? Is that Delicia or Delicia? Delicia Cafe. Delicia Cafe. So you're Brazilian, um, working here, having come over from Brazil. You worked in, um, I think you had a beauty salon, did you, on the South Terrace? I do, yes. I okay. do have a hair okay. and beauty salon. So you well. still have it, but then you invested something like five grand putting together a new business. Right, that's right. Okay. Only what? for to start up the, you know, not counting the, the trailer itself. Okay. So what what's the new business and what cost five grand to put together? A van, the generator, um, the equipment for the food, is it? No, no. It's just to start up, like the insurance, uh, the application to the permit application and uh, the equipment to like oven, coffee machine, um, all those things and supplies for the day as well. So it all adds up. So you set up the new business, you got yourself your license, you do mini donuts and fruit and granola and things like that. Is it? Yes. It's a Brazilian sorbet called acai. Acai. Okay. Yes. And you set up to go into the city and got your permit for St. Patrick's Day. That's right, yes. Okay. What happened? So we we got um we got a place um, nominated to to we got a place in Academy Street to to operate in the, in St. Patrick's Day. Yeah. And we arrived in the morning with the trailer and my car pulling it and so we placed the trailer there and we start setting up the business to to start selling around it was around uh, half 9 and we were planning to start around 11 or so so we we had some time to set up and then as soon as we arrived there was um, a bit of movement from the from the neighbors there from the restaurants and the, you know people working as well in that place in that street and they were saying like you shouldn't you shouldn't be here you should put there, you know, we're going to put uh, tables on this on the footpath, so you shouldn't be uh, putting your trailer here. And I said, but I got a license. I was told to stay here. I didn't choose this place. I was told by the city council to, to park my trailer here and operate in the day of St. Patrick's Day. Mm. You know? How much is a license for the day there? How much would that be? For the day, it's 125. So you paid your 125. Were there other I food did. trucks came into the city on St. Patrick's Day? Uh, they did, yes. There okay. was a lot of food trucks around the city, yeah. Okay. scattered okay. different places. All right. So you started to get a bit of pushback from the businesses on the street. Yes. And then I, um, a few minutes later, I got really abused, harassed by this man that came along. And he, he asked me, do you have a license? And I said, yes, I have a license. And I, but I didn't realize, I thought he was from the authorities and I should show the license because this is what you're supposed to do, you know. Mm-hmm. But then I said, uh, the license is in the car. And then I, when I went to the car and I said, look, but who are you? Yeah. And he said, I'm here on behalf of the, of the uh, business owner here in the, in the street. On Academy and Street, the business owners on, on Academy, Academy Street. street. Yeah. Yeah. There are a lot exactly. of food offerings and different restaurants and cafes and what have you. Okay, yeah. Exactly. What and next? he said, I'm... And uh, he said, I'm, on, I'm here on behalf of um, one of the business owners and we, you shouldn't be here. I said, but I have a license to be here. And he said, but you shouldn't be here. You're so disrespectful. You shouldn't be in front of other business. I said, but this is the street. I'm not, in, I'm not blocking anybody. The footpath is there. People can go inside the restaurants and they can go and sit down. Here is just a, 
pass by and grab a bite to eat and they they just keep going, you know? It's nothing to do with restaurants. We are not competitors to restaurants. We are bites to eat, not a plate that we serve on the table. Pay for it, order it, pay for it, grab it and go, yeah. Exactly. Okay. What happened next? So he was really, really abused. So abusing. So I said, uh, okay, you you don't have to deal with me and I don't want to deal with you. I have nothing to do with you. I will go back and I will, I will start trading. And he said, you shouldn't be starting trading. I'm going to call the police. So he called the police and I said, you should call the police because they will tell me. And actually they called the police. The police came in, the guard came in, and they and I told them the story, and they said, "Do you have a license?" I said, "Of course I do." So I got the license. Yes. I showed them, and they the guard said to me, "Look, you are right. This is the license. You you this spot is yours." Does it say it's on the license the where you? Does it say on the license where you must set up? Yes, it and, says. Yeah. And, and did the yeah. guard see that your license had you in the right place? Yes. Okay. Did, yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, so what? The, yeah. What happened next? So then, the, when the guard was leaving, this guy that was abusive to, towards me, he just clapped at the guard, like saying, "You did nothing. You know, she's staying here." So he 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 clapped he, he, at the guards, is it? Yes. Okay. And he came to me and he said, "So you keep trading." Before the guards arrived, he said to me, "You keep trading. You see, by the end of the day, you know that I I just." ignored him and I kept you know doing my uh, my setup and, and at this stage was it getting busy in the city and around you it was getting busy it wasn't over busy you know yeah yeah okay but there were people milling into town for the parade and what have you oh yeah there were people there all day there were people in the restaurants there were people coming in and out the uh, out the restaurants okay. in front of us and uh, a few people buying some stuff from us as well, you know. And did you sell much? Um, I I did sell a bit, yes. From my, I don't have what to compare to, you know. It yeah. was my first day, the very first day, so I was very very excited to be to be trading, to be selling. So whatever I made, I, it made me happy because um, it is the first day, you know. You don't have anything to compare. To. So you were tipping away then and selling, and then your power yeah. went, is it? Yeah, I was talking actually to to one of my clients, uh, one of the the customers on the street. You know, I was talking to her, and then next thing, the power was cut. And one of the girls working with me, she said, "Oh, they cut the wire," and uh, and I said, "How come they cut the wire?" So I jumped out the trailer and I went in the back, and I saw that they ha- actually did cut the wire. Okay. So in that time, then I had to call the cops. You know, I had to call guard you come and and then I gave another statement. So you have a gener- you have a generator, do you? I do have a generator. Okay, so yeah. the generator so is next to the truck, and then the cable mm-hmm. goes from the generator to the truck, and somebody cut that cable between exactly. the two. So the guards exactly. come back again. They did. Yes, another another guard came back, and they took um, they took my details, my statement, and I told them about the morning. Um, what happened in the morning? It was different. Guardy came back, obviously. Different guardy. Okay. Yes. Yeah. And they they took all the details. They said that they're going to look at um, the CCTV cameras. And even one of the girls in one of the the restaurants there, she was really nice. She volunteered to show the CCTV on her on mm, her cameras. You mm, know. Mm. But uh, they were those girls were really nice. They were. 
actually on our favor. They said we we had license and we they would they weren't bothered. Not everybody was bothered that we were there. No. Well, clearly some were, um, and who knows who that was. Uh, but the Gardaí will now investigate that, will they? But what, what happened then? Was that the end of your trading then on Academy Street? You could do uh, no more. No, actually, we were going. We were planning to stay until late in the evening because we, it was we were doing um, we were doing a bit of work, you know, like we were selling. We were still selling. So we, we were planning to stay longer because people were on the streets. They were looking for food to eat, bites to eat, to eat, you know. So we were going to stay there until maybe late in the evening. Yeah. You know? Yeah. yeah. But it was around uh, six o'clock and we had to fuck up. Yeah. Okay. Because I was devastated. Then that stage I couldn't, I couldn't handle anymore. From the morning that I was harassed and then in the evening that the, what they did to the trailer as well. You had so a very upsetting experience across the day. You were never really enjoying it because it had a bad start and it didn't really improve much, did it? Yeah. The hostility of what happened. It was, it, the morning was very, very bad. But you know what? I, I understand the predicament you find yourself in, but if I, if I had a restaurant, say for instance, or a food outlet or a deli on Academy Street or any one of the streets in the city, and I was looking forward to a good busy day, and a, and a truck arrived up or a van arrived up outside my front door, also selling food, possibly an awful lot cheaper because it's a, a van, Mm-hmm. I'd probably be annoyed as well. But you see, it, it is not a competitor. We are not competing with any of the restaurants there because you, we are selling donuts. We are selling acai. Nobody else in the city apart from um, uh, our friends have it. You know, so we were not selling anything that other people would sell. But we are selling but, Brazilian um, yeah. hot dog roll that is nothing like you've seen here in Ireland. But it's a hot dog. It's a hot dog roll. It's a different type of No, thing. but I mean, there it's a no hot dog. Bread. Like, you could have a, a restaurant on Academy Street that would be selling a burger and somebody... Sell. Do you know? But they don't sell hot dogs there. But what None if somebody them. went there that and decided, oh, I'm not going to bother going in there now. I'm going to try this instead. And it happens to be a truck that's rocked up for the day. Can you say again, sorry? No, I'm, ju- I'm just saying, I'm trying to look at it from the point of view uh-huh. of people who have a business that has bricks and mortars, they're paying their rates, they're paying all of the electric and the light, and they're there 24-7 all year long. Yes. And somebody rocks up in a food truck. Yeah, but that day, there is enough business for everybody. And actually, that's the reason why City Council put them trucks up in the streets, the trailers, because... It, there will be people wanting just to have food from a trailer. There will be people wanting to go inside a restaurant and sit down. And so there is business for everybody. People that want to sit down and get, get away from the cold, they will not buy a donut. You're no? right there. Maybe there is room for everybody. Maybe there is. You know? Absolutely. Yeah. And probably the city council has analyzed that before. So they, that's why they give permission for people to operate. So you don't see what you do and other food trucks being a threat to traditional businesses with a front door, no? Not at all. Okay. No. Okay, I'm just wondering what people think of it. Because you shouldn't have to go through that experience like you did. But I also think that maybe some of those businesses are finding it tough enough as it is to survive without four wheels rocking up in front of them and blocking their entrance. Do you know what I mean? I wasn't blocking I know, I know. Maybe I'm I'm exaggerating. I was on a street 
where you where you park. There was a parking space on the street, and I was parked in there. I was actually not using any of the footpath. Yeah, I know what you mean. No, and you did everything you were asked to do. You applied for the license, you got it, you got your pitch, and you went there. And this was. And what are you going to do now in the future? Were you worried that this might happen again somewhere else? I am worried. Yes, I'm very worried that this will happen. And but does not stop me because I did invest a lot of money, and uh, this is a project that has been um, on my head for a few years now. Yeah, and this is going to continue. Okay, because I know I can I can serve things that people don't have in here. And this is what I'm going to do. Yeah. I'm well, going to serve the Brazilian hot dog rolls, the acai, and this is what people want to, to see. They want to get new new experience in food too. But would you not be better off down in the marina market or in the black market across the road from it where everybody is just like you? I can study that, uh, that situation too. But for that day, there was a number of food trucks spread all over the city and we were lucky we got one of those spots. Yeah, yeah. And they were, they were for, those spots were for those trailers, you know? And what, what are the Gardaí doing about the fact that your power was cut? Are they investigating that? They are, yes. Okay. They okay. are. They were, they were really supportive and they said they will collect evidences and they, they were, they were going to come back to, to me, um, to tell me. Well, will you let us know if there's an update in that regard? I know we have some names and numbers of individuals that we wish to have maybe a chat with later on when we get off the air, but do give me an update if the Gardaí come back with anything, will you? I will, for okay. sure. Okay. All right, Paula. Thanks for taking the call. Unfortunate what happened Thank to you, you on so St. Patrick's Day. You didn't get the Cade Melia Falchia on Lee's side, that's for sure. Text 0868104106. Where are you guys on this? I mean, what side of this do you come down on? Would you think, okay, this was awful, it shouldn't have happened, and she should have been allowed, and other vans and trucks should be allowed to pull in? Or are you on the side of the traditional businesses that are there all of the time, the bricks and mortar food businesses that are trying to survive at the same time? Your thoughts, please. Text 0868104106, particularly, in, you know, well, obviously as a listener, but also businesses. I'd love to get the perspective of businesses on this. Is it a, is it a step too far uh, and is it impinging on their own bricks and mortar businesses? You can always pick up the phone on 0818104106. Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 0818104106. Cork's Red FM. Uh, text is absolutely right. Regardless of whatever happened, it does not justify criminal damage, regardless of whether it's competition to the traditional businesses or not. Uh, on Lee's side, criminal damage is criminal damage and cutting a power line is a criminal act. So keep those common text 0868 104, 106, and I'll come back to that uh, again in the morning if there's updates in that regard. I remember I was telling you the story there earlier on of the great Kitty Jeffrey. She's 108 years old. In fact, she'll be 109 this coming November. Uh, but she doesn't believe it because she thinks nobody could be that old. She thinks she's in and around 103. I'm quoting George Jeffrey, uh, one of her children, um, who, jo- who joins me by phone because they had a great weekend of celebrations. George, good morning. Good morning, how are you? I thought this was the greatest story I've seen in a long, long time. You're a wonderful ma'am at 108. She's an incredible woman. She is indeed, yes. She's enjoyed very good health all, all along, bar the time that she fell and broke her hip in the kitchen quite a number of years ago. It's amazing. But other than that, she's been in very good health. She was born at the start of the outbreak of the First World War, for God's sake, in 1914. <laughs> That's right, yes. And... Um, 
she obviously would remember that period, but um, she definitely remembers the the, um, the the rising and the civil war quite vividly. Oh she always reckoned that the civil war was far worse than the, the 1916 rising. So you must have had great chats with her then down through the years about what she remembers. Well, we do, did yes. Yeah, well, she had a very happy childhood. Glenville, um, wasn't it? Was she born in Glenville? She was born in Glenville, at home in Glenville. Uh, her father was a uh, steward, farm manager, as they call them now. And uh, the house actually is still standing. It is. What's, the, what's it called? I googled it over the weekend. Big, huge mansion with lots of grounds. Oh, yes. Well, she, was, <laughs> she wasn't involved with that at all. Um, that was a bit... Uh, no, her dad like, was the steward on the... On he the, was. Uh, yeah. He was steward of the steward of, of the farm. And they lived actually in a courtyard. And we took her back. I'd say she was... I don't know if she was around 100 years of age, but she remembered this anyway, the whole lot, as if it was yesterday. And uh, she knew where the, the, the parlour was, or the, the, the tack room was, the dairy was, uh, where the coaches used to be kept. And she remembered, we took her over into her house where she uh, was born in, and she said, where's the, the, the knocker gone off the door? And then we opened the door, and uh, she said, my father put down those tiles. And then we looked into the sitting room and she said my father used to read his books there. And you know, she remembered as if it was yesterday. It's incredible, isn't it? Her yeah. dad was a steward in Glenville Manor. Um, uh, he had been to Australia and things like that and came back again. It's amazing. He had actually, yeah. that, yeah. in those days, you must remember, Niall, that um, poverty was rampant in, in Ireland. And you're talking there about the 1880s. And to either you know, get a job or emigrate. So most of the Clancy family actually emigrated to Australia, but the climate didn't suit him or his sister, so mm. they both came back into that job in Glenville. 108 years young, married, settled down and married and, and had children, obviously, and is now in Cloyne. So how did you get from Glenville to Cloyne? Well, she moved when her father died. They had to leave Glenville. Uh, the house went with the job. So she went to, to Cork. I think she um, originally, they originally lived with um, her auntie, Auntie Margaret. And, uh, her Uncle Bill, time, wasn't then, it, in Turner's Cross? Yes. And at the same time then, they walked every street of Cork City because I remember when I was very young, we used to go up to Cork and um, in the car and she would tell you, turn this way, turn that way. And she'd <laughs> name all the streets. and said, how do you know all the streets? And she said, why wouldn't I? She said, I walked every one of them. She said, uh, searching for a house with my mother. Searching for a house, for God's sake. Yes. She did a secretarial so the, course in the school of Com. She did. Yeah. No, and uh, she was more or less self-educated. And uh, she went from there then to the, the sweepstakes. And there are sweepstakes. And she said it was the only job that she ever got overtime pay. <laughs> and then she went to a number of places then after that. But, um, she worked in the Queen's Old Castle, man. She did. That was her last job. She was in uh, in okay. O'Hare's butchers then, and she learned all the cuts of meat. And like she'd go into Middleton and, and uh, into Dan Murphy's shop, and uh, <laughs> she would tell uh, Dan like the type of joint she wanted. You know, she just pointed out to him, "This is what I want." Yeah, she knew because what she was looking thing. for. She worked in a gown shop in the Queens, That's uh, right. Jackson's gown shop, and then fell in love and married George. Isn't that right? That's right, my father. Your dad, yeah, a farmer. Yeah. Yeah, he was indeed from Rathcorsey. Where did they meet? They met at a dance thing down in Gary Vaux. <laughs> so um, they, they both had, a, had a, a love as well as for greyhounds. My father used to keep some greyhounds and uh, her brother, Bill, used to keep a greyhound as well. So they had that in common. 
So they got married anyway after that. I'm not quite sure how long the courtship lasted. <laughs> and all all of you guys came along then? Yes, we did, yes. And me, Norman, late Norman, and Ivor. Isn't it an amazing story? Dad then passed away in 82, I think, didn't he? She looked after uh, him for a long time, didn't she? 85. Was it? 80, 85. 5th of December, 1986, sorry. Yeah. Sorry, sorry, I have the wrong notes here. No, it's just yeah. I said 82. And, and was there a big bash then and a big event for the 108th? Well, there was, yeah, just just held here in the house. And, you know, neighbours and friends were calling during the day and, uh, you know, wishing her well. And she was very sprightly at, those, at that time. Yeah. She was up and about all the time. And... Um, she used to go out um, for occasions. She'd take us out to lunch. That was her treat. And we used to meet our, our brother, Norman, um, down in, in Dungarvan. But the last time then, she was getting on a bit. She, she was about get, coming up to her 102nd birthday. We met down in Yall. Because she wouldn't have been up for the long journey. But she was quite good and, um, you know, mobile. But after that, then she kind of retired to the bedroom and she used to get up. Late, late in yeah, the day, and yeah. then after that, then it's kind of dwindles, yeah. you know, kind of rolled back. Yeah. But you now she's in, in her bedroom all the time. But she stayed sharp as a pin because I know she was an avid reader, joined the library, did the examiner crossword every day, things like that. Isn't that right? And fluent Irish speaker. But but tell me this. She, no, she wouldn't have been a fluent Irish no? speaker. No, that, that, that's not right. Her mother and her granny were fluent Irish speakers. But um, that's one of the things now that she uh, actually referred to. When she started to learn Irish, her, pa- her mother was probably uh, educated under Munster Irish, and the Irish in the National School would have been a more general Irish, as you know. So the dialect would be somewhat different, and they found it difficult to read the, the books. I remember her granny was, or her mother was saying that. But she often said that if uh, her mother and her granny wanted to speak, uh, privately, they would speak our squeal again. You Gosh, know, so the, 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 yeah, the children would ma- not understand. Mammy and her granny. Say. Oh yeah, <laughs> but she was never. She's never been sick though, as such. Apart from the serious fall with the hip. Other than that, though, no, um, nothing. Other than that, no, no, she hasn't been. She enjoyed very good health. The genes actually would have come from her, her mother's side, the Mills, the Mills families, her first cousins. Now, they um, they all lived like, to good ages, well into the nineties. <laughs> But she doesn't believe she's 108. I was reading in the Chris Dunn article in the Echo that she thinks she's 103, is it? I'm only 103. So you're not. I said, I, you're 108. I said, it could be. She said, does nobody live to that age? She <laughs> said to me. <laughs> <laughs> she keeps getting, does she keep getting checks from the president and letters and things? No, we, did that. we only got one check <laughs> that came at home when she was 100. But we get a letter. Uh, and um, we get a little coin every year. It's incredible, isn't yeah, it? We got a letter from the, the teacher, all right, and the Kenny when she was a hundred as well. And tell, and tell me this: um, I, I know that there was a, a little shindig and a get together for the one hundred and eighth. But I think she, do you did I read that she's the third oldest person in Ireland, according to your sister Anne? Is that right? Well, yes, that is correct. When our snoops run rings every year, just to see how things are. <laughs> And um, basically, they want to know whether she's alive or not. But you know, they're just they're very diplomatic. So, <laughs> um, Ivor, my brother, took the call and he just said, I happened to ask them last November where was she on the list, and they said that she was the third. 
So that's the latest. Now we know, obviously, between oh, data man. protection or not, if you don't be told know, these things I know, anymore. I know. Well, may she have many more years in the clock, says you. Thank so you say much. all of us. Listen, I'd love to give and pass on a voucher from Michelle Jewellers uh, for your great mother, Kitty, if that would be all right with you. Oh, just, to, just to mark her birthday. It's, it's just a voucher for 250 euro. And you can oh. go and buy something nice for her as a little token, you know. And to yeah, wish her happy so Mother's Day for, for yesterday and what have you, all right? Yes. So thank, thank you, you so Look, I'll put you back on hold. We get the postal address. Give her a kiss and a hug from all of us, will you? The great Kitty Jeffrey. I will. I'll do that. Lovely chatting with you, George. Okay, then. Thank Take you very care, much. Take care, my man. Take care. Fair play. It's a fabulous story. Uh, finally, Katie, good morning. Can you tell me a little bit about Nana Nula? Um, I can, of course. So... Nana Nula would be my nan, but my boy's great-gran, and they refer to her as their Nanny Nula. So to them, she's the, probably the best nan in the world. So I, no one can compare to her. And you rely on her so much, though, after the loss so of So much, absolutely, yeah. After so we lost my mom uh, three years ago in June. So she has had to step up to the mam role for myself and my three younger sisters, so she's got four of us on her hands and two boys as well. Oh. She's a sprightly woman. I have a photograph of her here with the two kids. So she's taken over. <laughs> are, you, are you going out by day or something and she jumps in then, is it? Uh, so during COVID, because we lost mom during COVID, uh, she would come over. She's only five minutes down the road from me. So we would go out on our walks. So that was out on one of our walks during COVID. So we live in Ballon Road State. So we have a lot of like countryside walks that we can do. So that was on one of them. Oh, and I also have a photograph of your late mam, Steph. Is that your mam there in that photograph? Yeah, that is the last picture we have of her and the Is it boys. the last picture? Oh my God, she's so, she was so young, Katie. Yeah, she was uh, 44. She passed of uh, cervical cancer. Oh no, oh no, the tragedy of cervical cancer again. Yeah. How are you coping? How are you, you'd, be, you'd be lost without your gran. Yeah, we all would, we all would, like she is our saving grace. And where does Nanny Nula and Dominie live? Uh, so she lives in Crocoin Cloyne. So it's kind of like in between Whitegate and Cloyne. It's all Cloyne this morning. We're talking about Kitty <laughs> Jeffrey. Do you know Kitty Jeffrey and her 108 years old down in Cloyne? I wouldn't, but I'd say my nan is out of her. Yeah, talk to your nan about her. Talk to Nula. I bet she does. But listen, for your nan, who really and truly has not been found wanting following the passing of her daughter and your ma'am, I want to give her a 250 euro for Michelle Jewellers a voucher to get something nice, you know? Yeah, I, she'd love that. I did text her and I was like, listen, Tread FM, there's a surprise coming. So I hope she's listening to I, this. I hope so too. <laughs> so listen, thank you for sharing the call. Very sorry to hear about your loss of your young mum. That's tragic. Thank you very but much. Thanks for sharing the story about Nan Nula. Thank you so much. Thank you. She'll be absolutely delighted. All right. Bye, Katie. I wish I had more time, Les. I can come back in the morning when I do. Maeve. Hi, Neil. I've only got about 60, 70 seconds, girl. So <laughs> tell me a little bit about your story for Mother's Day yesterday. Okay. Yesterday, so I just like to nominate our SNA in St. Mary's Central School in the scheme without Miss Noreen O'Sullivan. Like David, I, David will be at home a lot more possibly. Like she is full time hands on with David because of type 1 diabetes. Like he's a lot of highs and lows. He's only six years old, so he's not able to maintain his insulin stuff himself. And she does all of that. She just thought of that for him, along with, like, if, if Noreen needed a day off or whatever, like, with the support of Mr. Duggan, the principal, his teacher, Miss Barrett, and Miss Miles, also a supporting teacher. 
like there's great support from the school he's going to. Okay, it'd be different if it was a box of um, uh, milk tray now or black magic or something, but because uh, they could share it with everybody. What are we going to do for a prize, though? <laughs> well, uh, well, Miss Noreen O'Sullivan is his main SNA, so she is she is the star for him, and David absolutely adores him. And she a mother herself, never mind to be mother she is, to all she's of a your mo- kids. She's a mother. She's a mother of three boys. Yeah. yeah. And what about you lady. yesterday? Did you get anything at all? I did. I got a little, little surprise of my own tree. Daddy was great, and I did. And I got a little time in bed, and just the small, simple things. Delight of you. And I suppose hello, hello to my own mother, Mary O'Regan, and my mother-in-law, Mary Hayes. <laughs> we'll make we'll make that happen for you. We certainly will. Noreen. Yes. Your ears, Hi, mu- your ears must be burning, are they? There, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well done for the work please, that you do please, day please, in please. day out. You make a huge and difference thank you, to Noreen, families' thank lives. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Noreen. <laughs> I just help. It's a pleasure working with David, and obviously Maeve is a fantastic mom, and she's a constant support to me. And I just like every day is different. I just help David to navigate through the day. I You're suppose. one in a million, girl. Well done for doing that. And she just got in touch. Well, to Maeve say, is the real hero. No, Maeve is a fantastic no. mom. You know, well, the diagnosis there. Is you, can, you can have and that. Ar- you can have that argument among yourselves off the air. <laughs> hear me, Maeve and Noreen. Okay, okay. But certainly, she picked up the phone, got in touch with me, and I want to sort out something nice for you. A little gift from Michelle Thanks, Jewelers, two hundred fifty euro. Pick up something nice, will you? Thank you very much. All Thank right. you. Okay, Thank take care. Thank All thanks, the best. Me. Take care. Bye, Maeve, and thanks to Noreen as well. I'm out of time, guys. Our Monday munchies for this week is for a uh, text I read out earlier on. Morning, guys. I'd love to... I'd love... I'd love it for my work colleagues in Farnley Community Nursing Unit. We didn't get to say, uh, celebrate Patrick's Day as we were all working, so we need a sugary rush today as we're on for 12 hours. That's Carol and everybody at the Sycamore Ward at Dennehy's Cross and all, of the Cal- and all of our colleagues. So there'll be a lot of donuts because you might even be sharing them with everybody at Farnley Community nursing unit as well. So you're sorted uh, for donuts, courtesy of ourselves and Offbeat Donuts for all other business and God knows there's lots of it. We'll pick it up in the morning. Have a good day. I'll see you tomorrow. For more Red FM podcasts, go to redfm.ie forward slash podcasts.